Yeah, the Skype mm-hmm. gods uh, are truly, they're not even Hades. They're like a sub-god within the underworld. Yeah, they're, they're Hypnos, like, the god that lives in the underworld, but everybody fucking hates. <laughs> yeah, fuck that dude, son of Nyx. Yeah, fuck Hypnos, sleepy bitch from the video game Hades. Sleepy that's the only, fucking twat. Yeah, that's no, sleepy no, dink. Too. That guy is getting only <laughs> enough... That sleepy dink, he is getting exactly as much nectar as nets me his item, and then we are never speaking again. Me and I'm not going to use his item, because no. he's, a, he's a twat. Yeah, he's a little dinkage. I don't need him. I need he to go get my mom. All of a sudden, Caleb's talking about someone being a twat. You're talking about items, and I'm like, did we? is this a, what, is this a video game? What's... Yeah, we're talking yeah. about Hades, the video yeah, game we're... where you play oh. one of the sexiest people in Hades, because it's full of sexy people. I'm um, trying to get yeah. away from all the sexy people to get to other sexy people. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, dope-ass game uh, that is available for the PC and Nintendo Switch, uh, just for everyone <laughs> who doesn't know about this very popular video game. Uh, what it, I, that could win Game of the Year that is also maybe accidentally completely fatphobic? Oh, yeah, I, I do. Anything like that is accidental. Well, it's, I mean, this studio it doesn't is feel for being really, really good storytellers, and I don't think that they would do this on purpose. But no, like, but I don't everyone's think that that's in the accidental. same. I think that's just like institutionalized. You know what I mean? Yeah, everyone's in the same. Specifically, like a, 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 a an anime feeling, like uh, what's the dating sim? Uh, Dream Daddy. If, yeah, they're they're Dream Daddy yeah. looking Greek they're gods. Dream Daddified Greek gods, and like, and that doesn't generally ever make room for people that are of larger structure and like it didn't hit me until i realized like dionysus the god of wine and partying is like a guy who does p90x while drinking wine to hydrate and i was like homie that doesn't work they took bacchus the the king of the bacchanalia uh -hmm. and 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 he is really hot in a traditional sense whereas you could have easily done fat guy hot which is a completely like like that's a vert like there's hot you know what i mean but they went with ripped abs hot no one went with they like went with unattainable hot not existing hot the only <laughs> chonky the only chonky king the only quote-unquote daddy uh would be your own daddy hades <laughs> he's the only uh thick yeah, king he's... in the whole game yeah but he's like he's like fuff He's like fat buff. Yeah, he is. He's fat strong. He's like you. You see a dude, and you're like, this is not a fit man in the like. Light. Your heart fucking hates you, but you could split a log in half with your hands. I get hundred percent. But is your heart not... fucking hates you. <laughs> Washboard abs. He does not have. But if I if I if I was if I needed someone to rip a log in half with their bare hands, like Captain America in Age of Ultron, mm-hmm. that is who I would call. <laughs> is mm. is a, is someone who is a big strong. <laughs> Big have strong. you guys have have you all watched? Uh, do you all I guess watch uh, last week tonight? Yeah. I have. I I haven't been up to date, but I do enjoy that. Not show. every episode, but so fun fact: this year, John Oliver got on a kick where he decided that it was going to be his onus to 
ask Adam Driver to do ungodly things to him all year? Sure. Split me open, you oversized giraffe. Things like that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Tie my Same. fingers in a square-shaped knot, you gorilla-shouldered behemoth. <laughs> things like that. Uh-huh. And yeah. the season finale that was this last week, or no, the 15th, I'm behind. I watched it today with my grandmother. Uh, <laughs> fucking Adam Driver actually comes on the show, like Skypes in, and berates him for doing it, and it's incredible. That's it's incredible. beautiful. Um, Adam Driver calls John Oliver an undercooked gingerbread boy and it's the fucking best Oh, undercooked gingerbread boy (laughs) I am like I love Adam Driver he is absolutely like one of the actors of his generation it is also like kind of infuriating that someone can be that that hot that good of an actor, and also Adam have worked Dry? with basically ev- all of the greatest living directors. Like, basically everyone he has worked with at this point. I'm gonna, it's I'm gonna, I'm gonna disagree. I don't, I do not understand that Adam Driver is hot train. Yeah, I was about to say, have you seen The Last Jedi? <laughs> have you seen sweaty shirtless Kylo Ren when asked to put a shirt on who says, no. Uh. <laughs> uh, I'm not even. I'm not even like shirt off, Kylo Ren. It's like throne room. You're still holding on. I'm like, oh, I would let this guy ruin my life. I, I'd forsake the. <laughs> just, I'd forsake I, the light side of the it. force and embrace a life of darkness. <laughs> Jeff, if, I, just, if, I don't get it. I don't know why. I don't get it. Did I you see Marriage Story? No, and the clips that I did see, I didn't understand why everyone was obsessed with it. Okay, so you I just now broached... have a different opinion on this situation. He's just not my kind of sexy. I don't know. Okay, that's fair. He's not that's generally fair. my kind of sexy either. I'm kind I think of a he's a good player. actor. I he's think great. I've actor. seen it. I think I've seen him act and been very impressed with his stuff. But I just he's not my kind of sexy. But that's okay. I, I don't have to find everyone sexy. This is true. Wrong. Uh, life would be easier Wrong. if you did. <laughs> Every, everyone Everyone's must have sexy. inherent sex appeal to you. Competent fool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you imbecile for not being horny for. Uh, now, okay. What? Do do we do we want me to get out my marriage story discourse soapbox or or is that I just seen simply? It, so nobody's gonna be able. To yeah, I, you're the only one in this, in this group that's seen marriage okay. stories. So I, then I will I if will you keep want it. To say some stuff for the fans. Do it. I, I will keep it very brief. Yeah, for all my marriage story heads out there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all y'all. Uh, what's up, my marriage story fans? Hope you picked up that Criterion Blue. Um, I will just, I'll keep it short and I'll keep it sweet because neither of you can facilitate in this conversation, but merit, the way we talked about marriage story when it came out is exactly what I hate about the way we talk about film now. Um, in every, it it hit every single (laughs) button of why I hate contemporary film discourse. Um, one, we started posting out-of-context clips and saying, this is great acting, or this is bad acting. We post the only scene in the movie where they yell. The only scene in the movie where they yell. And people were like, why does everyone have to yell all the time? And everyone was like, wow, look at the emotionality of this yelling. Whereas, like, it's almost as if films are supposed to be experienced within their own context. And if you take a scene completely out of context... 
it can be read in any number of different ways. Um, anyway, uh, let's, let's push that away. Cause I'm sure another, po- I will force another podcast to go down this road. I mean, um, outside of marriage story. I agree with that sentiment. I don't, right. I don't think showing anything outside of its full context is anybody, any justice ever. Right. It's just, it, it, yeah. there's a, there's a, a propulsion and an inertia to a film that if you simply remove something and post it as is without, I mean, in that scene in Marriage Story, we're talking about 90 minutes of context leading up to that moment. And if you just post it sans context, like, of course it's going to seem weird. Of course it's going to be like they're overacting, where what you didn't see before that clip was 90 minutes of, like, them not being able to communicate <laughs> because of, like, a pa- the passive-aggressive ways that divorce is is gone about in this country, and that is the moment where it segues into the aggressive ways that divorce has gone about in this country. Um, and at the same time, and this is the only other thing I'll say, the every people know <laughs> they learn one behind-the-scenes story that, like, okay, Noah Baumbach is himself divorced, and Noah Baumbach is divorced to actor Jennifer Jason Lee. And everyone assumes that, A, this movie must simply be exactly how their divorce went down, and B, I I saw so many people say, like, this movie's on Charlie's side because Noah Baumbach was himself divorced. And I was like, did you watch the fucking movie where the movie is very obviously not on this guy's side? It drove me knuck and futs for the last like year when people that were like, me, "Not to go too far into that's musical theater no, no, world, no, no, no. but like, that's encouraging for me to hear though." There's this, there's this. I mean, that did that did make me more intrigued to see it. But it reminds me of last five great years. movie for real and great movie for a lot of people that refer to the last five years. I don't know if either of you are familiar with the last five years, Kevin. I have I only seen. I've seen. I have seen the film. I have seen the Anna Kendrick <laughs> okay, movie, though. The Last Five Years. Okay. Um, that's, Sorry, Chase, I'm not gonna, I just, I, no, you're totally fine, Caleb. Um, <laughs> it was rude, but I, I just so did, I but I personally <laughs> didn't dislike the movie. I actually liked the movie a decent amount. It. Um, I know a lot of people that didn't like it. I thought that as far as musical theater to movie conversion gatekeeping goes, that's kind of a weak argument when there's so many other terrible terrible interpretations. Um, I'm looking at you, James Corden, you are single-handedly ruining the prom and I haven't even seen it yet. I digress. Why do people hold on? Why do people you, hate James Corden? James no, no, Corden, no, no, you no, 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 ruined no, no, no. Buster for Jones. Whole, uh, you. A whole conversation about. We, we'll get to James Corden in a minute, but basically what I'm saying is, last time <laughs> pin pin has pin to it do up with like it's the two Caleb and for those of you who are listening who don't know the last five years, it is the story of a couple from when they meet until when they like. Do they get married? Uh, I, I can't they remember. Meet, they're a couple. They're like together. I, they might get married. Yes, they do get married. The and they get the to pl- yeah. The play and the movie unfold out of context, where it's sl- right. where you slowly realize that like her story is moving backwards and his story is moving forwards in time. Right. So we and follow her from breakup backwards in chunks to when they met, and we follow him from meeting until when they break up. And yeah. it's this really wild way. Because of that structure, a lot of people are like, oh, my God, Jamie's amazing. Ugh, Jamie's just this, you know. And But I look at that and I go, Jamie's a dick. Like Jamie, Jamie fucking sucks. sucks. Jamie? <laughs> Jamie? Sucks. The thing is, that show actually is based on Jason Robert Brown's broken up <laughs> relationship. 
He literally got sued by her for making one of the songs too close to real life, which they took out, which the song they took out is actually amazing. I digress. Interesting. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's the idea. But I think there's something really manipulative in its presentation and how you get to the end where you really have – by the end, you've seen all the fucked up shit that Jamie has done. And you're like, yes. fuck this guy. But at the same time, since we're going backwards with the girl's case, we're also left with a moment where we see how – how like the first moments, how she loved that thing, and to and to r- reminds us that even though this guy sucks, there was a point in time when she did love him, and it brings this redeeming quality to him, and it causes this really fascinating interpretation of who's like at fault in the relationship. But like, like, no, no, no argument. Jamie fucking sucks. <laughs> yeah, Jamie fucking. I mean, I'm so glad you brought this into the the conversation because I think both of these pieces, despite being very different, one obviously being a musical. They're also remarkably <laughs> similar in, like, kind of nonlinear storytelling, telling the story of this relationship and breakup from both perspectives within the relationship. And even though both of these stories are made by men, and both of these stories are made by men at least tangentially semi-autobiographical about their own relationship. Oh, Last Five Years is absolutely autobiographical. Is 100% marriage story, I think, I, I mean, I don't know anything about Noah Baumbach's real-life divorce, but let's say 60%. You can watch either of those stories, and you can really... I think at least the movie version of Last Five Years is a really mm-hmm. good portrait of this is just a messy human relationship. And yeah. I feel sympathy for Anna Kendrick because, you know, I just naturally feel sympathy towards that actor. But, like, mm. this is a messy human relationship. They both made mistakes. They both mm-hmm. um, uh, were available too much in one way and not available enough in another way like again spoilers for marriage story it's been out for a year but the part of the reason that they broke up is that she was like we all the opportunities my family is in los angeles we need to go to los angeles he's like no i'm a new york guy i i do new york theater with wallace sean um and then like after they're divorced (laughs) and and years down the line adam driver's like oh um i i'm moving to los angeles and scarlett johansson's like great (laughs) years too late bud (laughs) like and that anyone could watch that movie and think that it is specifically on adam driver's side i guess didn't watch the fucking movie like truly (laughs) that is the only conclusion i can someone brought out the cayenne today i yeah i made i made i made white bean chili with turkey uh great (laughs) use of your thanksgiving turkey there was a little cayenne pepper in and i'm feeling spicy (laughs) that's why that's the only reason why we'll we'll leave it there so sorry, Caleb, that we double excluded you. <laughs> it's fine. Bye. It's fine. It's fine. I uh, I wanted to watch Marriage Story when it when I saw the trailer for it, and then I saw the the video of them arguing, and it had, being somebody who like I love my wife dearly, but who has had those arguments where it's very clearly like we just can't communicate. That's yeah. that's the that's the whole argument. It's not like I actually hate you. It's just like I have been wanting to say something for so long that what's coming out now I can't stop. Oops. I remember seeing that scene and being like, damn, damn, that's real. Yeah, that and like, fuck everybody who watched real. that scene and was like, that's overacting. You've had great relationships, apparently. Fuck off. Yeah, congratulations. Uh, <laughs> congratulations. You can't relate to people who can't fucking stand each other only because they can't figure out how to say, I can't stand you right now. People um, take these quotes out of context and they're like, why would he say that? And I'm like, have you just never been in like a fucking emotionally shitty place and yeah. said some shit you didn't even fucking you mean? absolutely <laughs> didn't fucking mean? Yeah, exactly. Like, 
Mazel Tov, I guess. Yeah, well, you. I guess, Jace, because you haven't seen this, but when he says, like, I wish you died, mm-hmm. sometimes I wish I've you would just clip. die so I wouldn't have yeah. to deal with it. Like, that shit hit, and I was like, fuck, yeah, I felt that. I don't See, mean it, I, but I felt that. When I saw that clip, though, the right. one thing that I did realize, I realized the writing was fucking amazing. Yeah, sure, absolutely. I realized that that dialogue was stunning, like really exceptional. And that scene was shot really well because you can tell they did a lot of multiple camera use and allowed them to just fucking have a moment, have a moment in time. That's 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 why I like theater, you know. Like, and let me, it allows that the the natural progression. Nothing drives me nuts more than when you watch something, and. there's like the energy just kind of switches just a little bit because they they change uh, camera angles, um, and sometimes mm-hmm. it's the director's fault, sometimes it's the editor's fault, sometimes it's the actor's fault. Sometimes it's just because it's the medium, you know. Sometimes it just happens, um, mm-hmm. but that doesn't happen when you take a live, just multicam shot and just go with it, or you do theater, a live theater performance. Sure. And that's what I like about it is because there's something really amazing. On the actor side, it's so much fun to be able to let yourself do that full arc. You know, it's this amazing everything. Like like you were saying, Kevin, with a story, right? The context of everything as you're watching in a movie adds up to the viewer. But as an actor, when you're going through the whole show, there is a through line that can't be replicated when you break it up and stop and go like you do on a film set. And that's fine. It's an entire other skill, and it is very challenging that's why mm-hmm. you know uh, honestly are... that's why i can't get a fucking enough of um aaron sorkin as much as as much as sorkin's writing may be politically charged and incorrect to people um because it has its absolute and definite flaws you can point to but it's politics yeah. but what system doesn't have flaws i love the fact that he is a student of of the walking cam and a student of the long shot and a student of conversations that will take a minute and you're going to have to be paying attention to get it. I hate when uh, there's a, there's a YouTube channel. And if you guys haven't heard of it, then like amazing. I've never, I've never found somebody who's heard of it. It's weird. It's a, it's widely popular, but anyway, there's a YouTube channel called every frame of painting. Yes. uh, That was Dope. It was amazing, and the dude was so good at doing what he did. He got a job and doesn't do the videos anymore, and it's heartbreaking. But um, he. But has... also good for good for Tony Sue. Yeah, yeah, you know, also good, <laughs> yeah. For, good for Tony Sue. Like, yes. Yeah. Um, but he has a video about this specifically, like letting people live in scenes yeah. and like knowing when that shit is happening versus when it's not. And he talks about specifically American comedy and its inability to like just let people be funny and also frame things funnily. And instead it feels like people reading, reading improv, which like that sounds dumb because improv is not reading, but that's his no, point. But that's it exactly looks like they're what reading improv. Yeah, exactly. And, like, and it's just like shot, reverse shot, shot, reverse shot, shot. That's it. And then that you is in, right. Yeah, exactly. That is in the Edgar, Edgar Wright video. Right. My, my yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. My I was just number about to say one Edgar Wright guy. Is the one that gets it. Dude, that yeah. video is so fucking good. And like, Talking about showing traveling to a new new place, doing it creatively, having things enter and leave the frame like funnily and do it like how he does that. Yeah. Like all of those things are essential there to making a good movie. And why so farces rely so heavily on people entering and exiting through oh, doors. It's yeah. when you can 
slam a door, button, boom, that's it. That's something that you can pull off on stage. And Edgar Wright's like, it's even better. It's even better when Edgar Wright does that, but doesn't <laughs> give the actor a. <laughs> I don't know if you're slam my partner. The door. Yeah. Pause and slam the door. Very good. Very good. Like, Edgar it's Wright even better when the... Edgar Wright like does the door slam exit and doesn't and, and doesn't put a door there. Like the scene when Nick Frost is like, "You just don't know how to turn off," and grabs his hat and then just runs into the distance behind you. <laughs> there is <laughs> such a. There is such a exit is so important and just there is such a simple thing that modern comedy really forgets is that people entering and exiting the frame is inherently funny. People going whoop and popping in or zoop popping out is funny. Or the the tenuous or the tenuous exit that the two detectives in Hot Fuzz have where they like walk off and then lean back in. (laughs) That is you are describing the best comedy shot of the 2000s. Like that shot of fucking Patty Considine leaving frame and then popping back in just to leave again is the and, and the soundtrack that hits you with like a little like boom boom when he does it's <laughs> it's fucking exquisite it's fucking perfect um uh, edgar wright my favorite director uh <laughs> he's he uh all of my favorite movies are directed by edgar wright um so anyway that go watch out the, so much doesn't that it makes so um, much sense absolutely go, i mean i would agree and, with that I think. and uh community is also like directly inspired by Di- edgar wright like they'll talk about it especially like his tv There's work on the show space right-esque moment 100 mm. percent um and the the use of the you know we we talked about it a little bit especially in season one where it felt like they had i was maybe just a thinking more immediately of the pep rally one where you yes. got where they've got that moving that tracking camera shot and then you've got abed kind of just waiting off the corner and then pops in and just it's yeah 100% efficiency of using the frame as its own character and understanding that the frame is the set as well as the set itself is the only way you can bring that kind of energy to this medium you have to acknowledge the medium as a player you know it's yeah community does it really well this uh the second episode we're going to talk about today is also a brilliant example of taking full advantage of being able to of the medium in order yes. to solve a massive problem you must take full advantage of the medium you are in as much as i like a lot of the like seth rogan judd apatow comedies they are often like if you're not taking advantage of the fact that you have this frame this camera frame and using that to its full advantage you are missing out on infinite opportunities for not only storytelling mm-hmm. but for comedy itself a, a multi-cam sitcom is very similar to a play so you can do those entrances and exits like yeah, um yes. go back and watch any episode of cheers and just like even just pay attention to who is leaving who is entering and how they're using never watched cheers but i think i need to it's a really good fucking show i obviously there are you know, it's a show that came out in the 80s. So there are some elements that don't line up to modern standards, but also it is way better, I think, than most products of the 80s in that regard. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, if we're if we're using that that bell curve to grade um, and just not, pay that, it, not that bell, not that bell grade to curve. That's a different, yes. no, different that's, thing completely different um and also cheer if you ask any showrunner (laughs) of your favorite modern comedies 
uh, Dan Harmon, Michael Schur, Greg Daniels, like any of those folks. And they're like, and you ask them like, what did you watch as a kid? What was your favorite show? All of them say cheers. It's cheers across the board. Cheers and like reruns of MASH. That's like what they watched. And it absolutely shows if you go back and watch it. Obviously, most of these guys do single cam as opposed to multicam, but they learned the right lessons from watching mm -hmm. 11 seasons of fucking Cheers. Uh, Is there a laugh track on Cheers? It was a live studio audience, so it's oh, not... okay. That's different. Yeah, that is, that it is, is an no, entirely different. different thing than a laugh track. It is. I mean, well, mm, if they tell them to laugh, it's one thing. But I mean, with the live audience, Cheers also is also like fucking funny. Laughter. Cheers is also like just a really funny show <laughs> that makes you laugh when you watch it. Uh, so I don't know how much. I mean, if you're in a live studio audience, they encourage you to laugh like no matter what. You know, and the energy of being in that space, knowing like, oh, we're the audience on Colbert tonight, so we should right. laugh a lot because we're the audience on fucking Colbert. But tonight. that that translates into the performance. If they're in the same space as the actors, the actors pick up on that energy. That it's the energy is it's, irreplaceable. It's, a, it's it's a symbiotic relationship, and it's really hard to describe um, outside of like being like live performances. Like they they. There's a thing that a lot of, you know, theater folks talk about is that the final character, the final piece of a show is the audience, right? The the mm -hmm. audience is a character and it affects so much of what's happening. And so that's that's the exciting thing about live audiences. It's like even if they're not, you know, even if they have to be egged on a bit, which if it's a good show, they don't usually have to be too much. I mean, it's just. I'm excited. Now I'm excited to watch Cheers. It's very good. This is, of course, Advanced Community Studies uh, <laughs> podcast where we uh, watch uh, the American television com comedy Community one or two episodes at a time. We are, of course, uh, the first and premier podcast in the Yahoo Screen podcasting network. <laughs> Boy. I am one of your hosts, TV's Kevin Lanigan, but through a surprisingly legal process known as corpo humanization, you can call me Subway. Hey guys, what's up? I'm Jace. I use they, them pronouns, and um, I had a really good one, and it's because <laughs> we talked about marriage story for fucking 20 minutes. We talked about marriage story for an hour and a half. No, um, I I had a good one. Um, It's gone. Something, something, Subway, something, something. That's what I'm... That's my, the I mean, it's, you know, so there, um, I call me George Orwell. Cause there's a really, a lot of stuff going on with 1984. Actually don't call me George Orwell. That's complicated. Please, anyway, uh, don't. <laughs> <laughs> let's just Perhaps say digital exploration. Yeah. I'm just a mess today, I guess. I don't know. I'm, I'm super glad to be back. It's been a few, few, few weeks. Yeah. We also took a break last week it's as well. It's been a few, um, few weeks, and we also have we haven't had the full crew together. I think since the live, uh, yeah, show, quote unquote, because it was the live show when I was in Florida, and my partner uh, got through surgery. It went really well. It was super Shoot. awesome. And then uh, as recovery started, they got about a week in, and they had a full body reaction to their antibiotics, and it was just like. It no. just was like, I can't think about anything else. I have to make sure they're okay. A lot of last-minute doctor's Good. appointments. Pair that off with COVID is complicated and then getting tested because we're in a different state. It was a whole thing. Um, and I was like, I love y'all. I cannot do this right now. I, I would be mad at you if you had chosen us. <laughs> <In> <laughs> <that scenario. laughs> 
I would be personally disappointed in you. <laughs> My brain thinks of the fucking Troy line from the paintball episode. Because I just wanted to say, damn it, Jace, forget about your in-distress partner and focus on the people who need you. Uh, but that's a joke, obviously. <laughs> obviously. Oh, I remembered it! Oh, shit! It happened right as you were saying. What's up? I'm Jace. Um, and then, But for this episode, you can call me Tom Hanks. Just kidding. We couldn't afford him. <laughs> Very good. Very yeah. good. Uh, Not as funny. I'm, I'm late, the daddy host. The third one. <laughs> About to be daddy times two Hatch in like Hatch. three weeks. How oh, oh, crap! You're hatching egg that soon? I'm not, but I'll be there. <laughs> um, You're sitting yeah, on the egg though, right? You sit in the nest. On it. Nope, you I sitting on die. the egg? <laughs> you sat, sat on, on it. That's uh, <laughs> no, but because of my 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 parenthood, I am very good with pillows, and so some people say that I am. He is part man, part pillow. Oh, carnage. Did you hear it? <laughs> yeah. Did it work? That was awesome. <laughs> oh, now we can say we've had Keith David on the show. Yes, uh, we can. Oh, what? I'm, so glad it, I'm so glad it came through this time. Uh, part man, part pillow. Oh, carnage. Oh, carnage. <laughs> I love God. I love I hope the audience is ready for fucking, like, that seven-week period where all we talk about is Keith David. I can't, I can't wait for that time. Elroy Potashnik. They brought him back later. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They even jokes about it. They even mention it. It's weird because both of the cast members they add in season six, Keith David and Paget Brewster, are on the show before that as different characters. <laughs> It's because Wait, Keith, David, real? Keith David is himself in this episode as a voiceover and Paget Brewster shows up in um, analysis of court based networking where Annie and Hickey are trying to get a cork board put up and they go to like all these celebrity cameos. They go to Nathan Fillion. They go to Robert Patrick. And one of those people. Kumail Nanjiani. Kumail Nanjiani. And one of those people is Paget Brewster uh, as the IT lady. And then in season six, the IT lady is mysteriously missing. And when uh, you try to call her number, your nose bleeds. <laughs> <laughs> and that is. Uh, she so from, she that. from oh Deborah Chambers God, to Frankie awesome. Dart. Yes. And Frankie Dart, one of my favorite fucking characters on the show. So I'm very excited uh, her to monologue to, to the dean about how he's just a stupid, stupid little man is fucking brilliant. It's so good. Chef's fucking kiss. Oh. Padgett Brewster should teach a class just on emphasizing lines. Uh, should just teach like comedic emphasis because she can turn a line into like. Britta, in what way did you think this was so covert that it needed tattling? You built a bar in a school. There was lumber <laughs> involved. And just like the she has such a fucking gift with emphasis and knowing when to hit a word. It's truly it's a masterclass. But uh let's see, let's see. Few few uh also, quick. I bits. didn't realize oh, Paget had grays in her hair. And I'm weak. Pat Paget's full gray now because she's like uh, what a fifty-year-old woman, and she has like during quarantine let herself go gray, and it's a good look, dog. I hope this I opens like up a whole. I don't like the way you said that. <laughs> what? What the way that I said something? 
<laughs> no, you let herself go gray. It was it just was, like it, stopped coloring ever. her care. I mean, it sounded bad. But I like, know, that's it, why I, that's why I said I don't like the way you said that. <laughs> Even though, we've like, come, what you said was fine. Because when I when I joined this call, we were talking about Friends, and Paget absolutely was on Friends for oh, I believe it. Several episodes. <laughs> yeah, everyone was. was on Friends. She, I think was she dated. I think she dated Chandler. Yeah, did she really? That's actually a good couple. I ship it. <laughs> that's actually. <laughs> I ship a, it. <laughs> I ship it. That's a good couple. Okay, but. But before we really dive into this, are we doing each episode individually or are we yes. really keeping this as a two-parter like all at once? It, we will do them individually uh, the same way we did with like the paintball two-parter. Um, mm-hmm. But there will obviously be crosstalk and, cross-talk. and it feeds back right. and forth. And um, gotcha. yeah, it's, uh, but there, yeah, it, yes, is the gorgeous. Love <laughs> it. Love answer. to see it. I mean, really, it is actually just two plots split over two episodes. Yeah, basically. Uh, and then, but it's it's interesting because the pillow and blanket fort plot of the first part is kind of like the B plot. You know, it's it's like the yeah. the the British subway plot and the pillow and blanket fort plot kind of have like equal footing. Um, and then there's like this kind of just like weird, silly toss off Jeff plot, uh, Jeff and Annie plot in the in the background there. Um, and then it's like all pillows and blankets all the time, baby. Um, but, uh, just before we dive into what I'm sure will be a lengthy discussion about these two great episodes, Mm -hmm. um, let me, let me just touch off on a little, uh, social media stuff for the week. Um, so, uh, several times on Twitter, I've posted my bizarre, uh, fan theory that Britta's name is actually Brittany. And that she left the NY in NY when she moved out of New York. Um, and I just appreciate oh. that there's so many people on Twitter.com my God. that go with my weird theory. <laughs> I mean, Luca, Luca said it first, Kevin, right? What? Ruta, like That's... Britney Spears. Yeah. Hit um, your genie bottle, rub it all over me. Yeah. Um, it's my weird, uh, my new weird pet theory. I've brought it up several times, and every time Twitter is like, I, what? I mean, I can't refute you, <laughs> but it's Look, so there's weird. no evidence against it, but there's also no evidence for it. Right, it's just, it's it, it's the best kind of fan theory is that it comes out of nowhere. Exactly. Uh, it, I don't... It's a non-disprovable <laughs> statement. Exactly. Uh, so I think when she uh, left New York, left her New York anarchist days and moved back home to add a little bit of edge and not lose her New York self, she left the NY in NY. Uh, so that thank you, everyone, for just going along. Speaking with, of uh, names, in the first episode, doesn't she talk about how she used to have a, uh, a uh, she would write stuff under uh, a the column name of the article Britta was unfiltered. Britta unfiltered. And, unfiltered. And then uh, Pierce goes, that's clever. And she's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I don't what do you mean? Uh which is very funny. Um Yo, anyways, hold on. This podcast might have more power than we thought it did. Oh, the wiki? The wiki's been changed. That the wiki has been edited. The wiki now says she left the NY out of her name when she left New York. Yes. The um, Britta Perry Britta, Britta Perry wiki says that now. <laughs> on the community, Wait, hold on. community But Kevin, this wiki. is your theory? Yes. Oh my god. 
Oh shit! Oh, Wait, Kevin, did you change the wiki? You no, I didn't actually. No, I didn't. Um, I swear well, it I didn't. Was changed I... by user Amy Edison fourteen yeah. hours ago. I know who wow. did change it. Um, <laughs> but um, it is, wasn't. Oh, this is me. shady all around. It wasn't me. It was my friend who did it of his own accord. Um, okay. <laughs> but it, he, sure. it was, it was sure. a past guest of the past and future guest, Jacob Kelleher, uh, changed it, but not because I asked him to, he did it of his own accord, but I do like know. This reeks of Kevin's meddling, but it no. wasn't. But it wasn't. I was like, it wasn't, it wasn't. No, it, it was, no. it was meddling that benefited me. I don't want to like lie, but I didn't, I, it was not my meddling. I'm not saying I did it, but I didn't not do it. You know, I didn't. I didn't turn it down when it happened, but I did not do it. Um, I wasn't unaware of its occurrence, but I didn't do it. And now <laughs> I'm just going to sit here and think about how unacceptable today was. Um, yeah. So uh, <laughs> thank you all for that, uh, and thank you all for also embracing uh, my new quest to uh, become just successful enough as a writer, director, and playwright to put Gillian Jacobs in a noir film. Uh, that is my now only career goal. Uh, and I, I just, again, I want to become just successful enough to pull that off. That's all I need out of life. Truly. Yeah. I I'm, I'm down. I'm down. Because really Caleb, I know you saw Give me her opposite and then two supporting. And they can't be the breakdown that you made on Twitter where it's the rest of the community cast. Where it's the rest of the community cast. Even yeah, though, again, if the community movie wanted to do like a brief noir riff, I think it's kind of untapped territory for the show. Sure, sure. Um, if you wanted to like start noir, then transition to paintball action, I think, I just think that would be maybe like effective. Uh, anyway. Um, give me her opposite. Give me her opposite and then two supporting. Um Okay. Gender uh, non-essential. You can it, sure. non-restrictive. It could be anybody. Absolutely. Oh my God. Absolutely. Okay, hold on. It's super relevant. Elliot Page needs to be in it now. Elliot Page. This is an Elliot Page fan podcast. I was thinking exactly Stan, the same thing. You you solved you solved my word puzzle. That was exactly what I was trying. To yeah, do. exactly. We were all getting to Elliot Page. <laughs> Elliot Page. Um, fucking awesome. Elliot Page as our beleaguered detective, right? Elliot no, Page no, is no, the believer. No, 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 ruin a detective's life she was about to ruin <laughs> wait his life. okay how about this ready no she's the jessica jones detective she's the yeah exactly that, like, you're uh, like oh fuck yeah exactly uh, but leather jacket only, yeah. yeah elliot Absolutely. page is also a detective they're competing heads interesting 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 and gillian um, jacobs ruins his life <laughs> ruins his life um even though this is again an elliot page fan podcast uh we love Elliot Page, but yes, the movie is about Elliot Jacobs ruining <laughs> Elliot Page's <laughs> life. Uh, and then, uh, I don't know, let's throw in uh, Paul Walter Hauser, because uh, if we're doing like a period film, I think he could sink into a scummy noir uh, rat in a in a way I think is effective. So let's do Paul Walter Hauser. Um... And, you know, I do think a prerequisite to a noir is uh, someone walking into an office looking 
like they're about to ruin someone's life. Um, so who is a who is a hot person we can toss in here? Henry Cavill. <laughs> I mean, okay, yeah. Smith if the we're, trope, Kevin. Yeah, it's sure. All if about we're gender expansiveness. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if we're going with just like, oh, Kevin's dream list, sure. Henry Cavill. Yeah, Henry, yeah, Henry Cavill comes in and is like, my wife has disappeared. I I need you to help me find her. Uh, yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Henry Cavill is uh, in it, and fuck it, Margot Robbie's in it too. Fuck it. Let's just hit all of my people. Let's just. Damn. All right. Let's just hit. Let's just hit. All right. Let's just hit everybody. If we're just shooting for the stars. All right. I'm gonna do mine. Star. Yeah, shooting for the stars to shoot stars. I'm gonna do mine. So it's it's gonna be David Fincher directed. Oh, it's gonna Gotta be Kevin. Be. Not me. It's mine. No me. No, you're writing it, homie. You're writing it. Oh, okay. 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 Yeah. 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 You're okay, writing, in my version, I'm writer director. Powerhouse, like Fincher. Uh, okay, either you direct and Sorkin writes, or Fincher directs and you write. What would you choose? I would rather write than direct somebody else's script. So I will write Both. for Fincher. All right, so you write for Fincher, which seems lower like a and debase kid. myself. <laughs> oh no! I'll write for Fincher. Fuck. Let me uh, uh, mank on Netflix this Friday. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway. the soundtrack has to be Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, it is a David Fincher joint. So yeah, they come, they come with, they come with They're just, that's package deal. That's pre, that's, we already knew that. Uh, yeah. Yes. Um, and Williams. I want the shady. <laughs> I want it to be a battle of the wits between the person that Jillian is convinced is the bad, the bad. Sure. And the bad convincing everyone else that they're not. And I think for yeah, that, the that best fit me. the best fit is the most, to me, because I didn't think about adding Elliot Page until just now, uh, really. But to me, the best fit would be the person most likely to accidentally be a greaser. Uh, and that's um, fucking Ryan Gosling. <laughs> yeah, sure, uh, sure. So Ryan Gosling's in, in his first role as a truly bad person. I want him to scum it up. Like, Jake Gyllenhaal and Nightcrawler, scum it up. Okay, because I was like, I, I haven't seen Drive. I feel like he might be bad in Drive. He's the good guy in Drive, though. He's just but, John Wick. But he's, he's a bad John Wick good guy. Okay, okay, okay. So okay. he does bad things to help good people. So the anti-hero. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and then supporting, supporting, uh, Elliot Page is a shoe-in. It has to be now. Uh, it, it has to be a, a, a situation of like, yeah, of course, of course we want them in this. Uh, and I don't know what I would cast them at. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. They make their own Write space. a role specifically for them. All right, exactly. what about, what about Elliot this... Page as the local barkeep that knows everything, hears everything, first person you go to when you're like, what's Ooh. the word on the street? Yeah, for sure, for sure. That. Sure, for sure. However, I detect- does I relationship with this bartender because they had a past relationship. Does that then imply that Gillian, as a private eye, is queer because Elliot Page, being a queer person at a bar, would yeah. more than likely be a- at a queer bar? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm. I. I now fully sold on this movie. I will produce it myself. <laughs> <laughs> I will give you my twenty dollars. I would just like to. I would like to put this down here. Uh, I will never buy Gillian Jacobs as a fully straight character. It won't. I can't. I it, just Doesn't like work. Elliot Page. Actually, <laughs> like I will. I just. I can't buy it. Um, it just doesn't. Doesn't check out on my on my list. And then my last addition would be uh, the grizzled and great Josh Brolin as sure. the 
police chief who's just had it and doesn't want this to continue. Reprising his right. role from Inherent Vice as Bigfoot Bjornsson, the, the police <laughs> uh, Bigfoot chief. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah. Yeah, I just I'm, I can't hear his name without immediately thinking of like the bit from Deadpool. Weren't you, big in you? Weren't you big in purple last time? <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait until Deadpool's in the MCU. It's coming. I'm it's coming so soon. stoked. And I, if anybody worth their fucking weight in whatever they want to weigh themselves with is going to direct that movie or write that movie and they don't have a censor bar right. pop up. Well, yes, that's the obvious choice. But if they don't have a sensor bar pop up when he swears and him be like, what the f*** is this? And, like, try to grab it. For his we've, crossover, for his we've definitely yeah, pitched this before, and the sensor yeah. bar looks like a Mickey Mouse uh, emblem. We've definitely pitched this on the show. <laughs> yes! Yes! <laughs> yes. So good. So good. Yeah. All right, sorry, we wow. can talk about the... Let's do the... this episode. <laughs> yes, all right. <clears throat> Uh, let's dive into How the much first of this episode. makes the final cut of the podcast? <laughs> Usually all of it. I, I just love like it. I love it. I love it. But the first episode on the docket this evening. Season three, episode thirteen, Digital Exploration of Interior Design, which Neil Goldman told the three of us is actually <laughs> code for putting a finger in Subway's butt. Uh, written by oh! Dan or I'm sorry, directed by Dan Ekman, written by Chris McKenna. Uh, in this episode, uh, Troy and Abed get into a fight about trying to break a Guinness World Record for longest pillow or blanket fort. At the same time, uh, Britta becomes enamored with the human representation of Subway. And there's also a plot where Jeff talks to some guy named Kim. Uh, it is also, it does happen in this episode, confirmed. No, it does not. Really? <laughs> You can't. Yeah, it's this that. episode. Jeez, oh, peace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, one I, it's one of those, like, C-plots that literally, by the end of the episode, they undo all the work that they did in it, so it might as well not be there. Right. Uh, it takes up time. I don't mind it. Like, it's... I, yeah, I one word. It's not a bad thing. bit. It is a fun reference to the idea of... I think it's, it's more so, in a meta sense, exciting, in that it's letting the audience know that they know that other characters exist but we haven't been giving attention to them yeah. and it's giving a sort of in-universe continuity of the fact it's like you don't know them because none of these characters remember them because jeff's a bad person <laughs> right exactly um and it uh neil goldman also told us lives. that, that um... this this uh, plot is also a petty dig at a sony executive a man named kim um, that Dan Harmon was sick of receiving notes from Kim at Sony, so just wrote, wrote a mail, Kim. Just the pettiest shit you've ever, uh, the pettiest shit this side of Trey Parker. Uh, anyway, <laughs> it's, it's fine. It's like a cute enough Jeff and Annie plot. Um, it doesn't overstay its welcome. Um, and it, there's, it's fine enough. It's, it's fine. Um, it's revealed at the end that Kim was a boy the whole time. Whoops. Right in, your, right in your diary, Jane Austen. <laughs> right, right in your diary, Jane Austen. Uh, oh, and but the this plot is the one that has the great save Garrett bit, right? That's saved Garrett? No. <laughs> That's the save but... Garrett bit. We I saved do love Garrett. the save Garrett Did we? I do love that because that also Did furthers we? the idea that there's an entire other world of stuff happening outside of the context, um, yeah, sure. which is really, really fun. I also, always love that on this is, show. Is, is it, that's that's saved, Garrett. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, we love it. Anyway, uh, moving on. Um, and then we have the um, Trinobid plot, as which is really just set up for the next episode. That's fine. This I'm glad we took an episode to lay this track so that the next episode can just hit and go. But it's right? also hot off the heels of uh, the move episode. They established then Trouble in Paradise between Troy and Abed, and they kind of let it simmer. Yeah, second. and the celebrity impressionist episode that it's like actually like Troy and Abed are kind of they're not vibing as much as they should. Right yeah, now. exactly. Yeah, and they really just like, oh, sorry, that's the episode I meant to say. I don't know why I said the moving episode. They were tight as fuck during the moving episode. Um, Hashtag any. But then, but like, yeah, and then they bring it a wonderfully executed uh, bringing back of. Uh, John Goodman is that his name? John Goodman, to, baby. To kind of really just wedge, the, put a wedge between the two while he's going through some stuff with the ponytail and a trumpet, and he's got band practice and doing some Baron Zemo uh, shit here, where he's like oh, uh, yeah. bring, finding exactly what will make our favorite heroes fight. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's oh, it is Civil War, isn't it? Huh. Yeah, even though this episode predates Civil War by like three years, and also okay, the, we also know. like Captain America: Civil War did not invent <laughs> that concept, <laughs> but but um, it is it does feel I'm have slightly. To disagree with you on that, but we'll agree to disagree. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. They didn't uh, invent love... it. Chase, they didn't invent it, but they did. They were the first to do it with such steamy beef boys. Yeah, mm, they are steamy, beefy boys in the cold. <laughs> yeah, in the cold, Wearing and they're suits. punching it. Listen, not a not a perfect film, but like when Captain America and Iron Man are beating each other up in the cold, like I feel something. A little eight year old inside of me, he feels something when he watches them punch each oh, other. Oh, so good. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> Captain America: Civil War. Check it out. Uh, I love. <laughs> I'm so glad we had. Ever heard of it? Uh, ever heard of it? Uh, we It's a billion dollar movie. Uh, and John Goodman, <laughs> I love that you just have John Goodman in this episode just like saying the word Inspector Space Time. Uh, like run it, running through. He's in his little footy pajamas. I'm going through some stuff right now. He has his ponytail because I think he was on Treme. It was Treme or Damages. One of those shows required him to, to have a ponytail. So he showed up looking like that. Um, and they're just oh, using... that's why? Yeah, it was for another show. They had to come up with jokes. I mean, in my head, you don't you don't have to come up with jokes. It's just like he showed up and his hair was longer. Like, that doesn't bother me as a viewer. Um, but it's but, right for jokes, so I'm glad But whatever. <laughs> like, yeah, you might as well just, like, do some jokes. Um, and you have, yeah, John Goodman kills it every time. I think John Goodman is one of those guys that is incapable of not killing it. He's just one of those dudes that it's like it doesn't matter what he's doing. He's going to do yeah. it well. I don't. Yeah, I agree with yeah. that. Um, he's trying to put a role of his, of his I didn't like. Because he can do because he can do it fucking all right. He can do voiceover, yeah. Monsters, Inc. And We're Back a Dinosaur movie. Uh, he can do sitcoms like Roseanne. He can do fucking Coen Brothers movies. He can do uh, this. He can do hard dramas like he can he can do it all. He, he just has such a fucking range. I'm putting him in my noir. Take it back. He's in there. I don't know where, but he's yeah, in Yeah, no, he's the police chief. He's the police chief. Take out yeah, Josh absolutely. Brolin and insert, insert John Goodman. Yeah, absolutely. We're putting John Goodman in the noir. Uh, we love to see it. 
but yeah, it's it's a good like we are setting up this. Con- it's the right way to do a two parter uh, of this nature. We're we're taking the time to set up this conflict so the next episode can be go 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 go. Um, in the same way, and hear me out here. We spend like the first half of Inception basically just laying out the rules of the movie Inception, so the second half of Inception can just be a fucking rocket ship. <laughs> can yeah. just fucking yeah. It's like here you go. Run. This is how it works. We're gonna do this for a long time, and then we're done. So, uh, hope you're ready because we're going. Hope you're ready. And we're speaking not of down. <laughs> speaking of Elliot Page, uh, of course, yes. Yeah, making it making it work, making it run. And then I think the real the real meat, the real good shit in this episode is Britta and Subway. Uh the world's only good 1984 reference. We we finally got it. We nailed it. We can put it to bed now. Yeah, it's very good. That's very good. It's exceptionally good. This is my man uh Travis Schultz. Uh, from, uh, I think most recognizable to, at least to me as like a big character on Scrubs, uh, Keith Dudemeister, but he was also apparently on a soap opera for a very long time. Uh, Passions, I want to say, I want to say it was that one. (laughs) I don't know. I just, I just looked him up. (laughs) I want to say it was that one. Uh, but anyway, Travis Schultz, he's the man, uh, he kills this part. There's, I think there's a reason that like. We loved and remembered Subway midway through season three and can not bring him back for three years. But then on site, we're all like, oh, Subway's back. <laughs> oh, cool. Um, <laughs> you love it. Uh, and this is uh, my favorite kind of Brita plot, which is we are going to make her challenge everything that she thinks she knows about herself. Um, and can she indeed fall in love with the human representation of a faceless sandwich corporation? You know, I gotta tell you this. I was recently reading 1984. Um, sorry. Just for fun. You say sorry? Well, yeah. sort of. Yeah, a little bit for fun. Because um, I had never read it. Um, but oh, also okay. That makes a lot more sense. <laughs> yeah. I had never read it. I thought it was... I blew through it. I absolutely loved reading it. Um, yeah, it was great. Um, it's not and long. I was, um, but I was mostly doing it for research for my show that I wrote because there was one of the characters gives a book report on 1984 um, just to kind of take just as far as the relevance of like the role that government plays and the way that they communicate this information and surveillance and all that stuff. And this is the first time I've watched this episode after having seen 1984. Mm-hmm. And they explicit that's the introduction to Britta and his relationship is they talk about 1984 and the way that they structurally set up how the two of them have to like speak in very specific areas and they can only say certain things and they're sitting next to each other and they're not looking at each other. These are direct references to 1984. And I never caught that before. And I was like, this is awesome. The idea literally hidden microphones that they didn't know about in areas that they thought they were safe in having to sit next to each other, you know, taking the extra time, even though he doesn't eat Subway, anything that's not Subway, taking the time at the cafeteria to try and find a way to say something to her, if only for a second, direct, like, these are direct references to what happens in this book, and I was like, whoa, this just brings it to a whole other level, it was, it was a very exciting discovery for me. (laughs) (laughs) It is nice when you've seen a parody for so long, to finally see the thing it is a parody of and then go mm-hmm. like, 
Whoa. <laughs> um, yeah, that I don't... always fucking gets me. I feel like watching Rick and Morty, for me, would probably be a much better experience if I actually understood half the references they were making. <laughs> but I still sure. like the show, you know? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Yeah. Um, there is, That's I don't know if y'all... That's show, is being referential but not alienating those who don't get the references. Absolutely. I think community is pretty good at that on the yeah, whole. Exactly. Is like exactly. um you don't need to have seen everything to to be super into it. Um I don't know if y'all are uh big on the movie Airplane, but uh Oh, that's a good one. Airplane is essentially a shot for shot parody of the movie Zero Hour. And if you ever, for whatever reason, if you're just like at your relative's house and cable is there and you're cruising through AMC and you see Zero Hour put it on because you will it's like you're watching the movie airplane with all the jokes cut out it's like exactly the same thing it's wild i would recommend mm. it sometime. it's so wild because i feel like especially in a more modern context airplane is now more famous than by thing far by far sure it's 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 so like cool. when a, it's it. like when a it's like when a cover song gets more popular than the original Whitney Houston and I Will Always Love You, even though it was originally written by Dolly Parton. Uh, Blinded by I've... the Light, Manfred Mann's Earth Band, cover of Bruce Springsteen. Manfred Mann's cover is way more popular. I thought Hurt was uh, jo- uh, uh, a Johnny Cash song. A Johnny Cash song, not, <laughs> a, not a fucking Nine Inch Nails song. Right? <laughs> uh, speaking of Rick and Morty, they use the fucking Nine Inch Nails version on Rick and Morty. Uh, even though I definitely heard the Johnny Cash version first, and yes. probably just like musical taste wise, prefer the Johnny Cash version. But I have nothing against the Nine Inch Nails version. Yeah, I didn't become a fan of industrial until like two years <laughs> until ago. Until David Fincher. <laughs> until, <laughs> yeah. until... Oh, that's true. Fuck, you're right. Until You're Trent right. Reznor, yeah. So, so uh, 2010, but yeah, like you know, I I, I recently rewatched Matrix and I was living for the industrial soundtrack. Hondo oh. P, dude, it's so good. You said Hondo, Hondo P. Hondo P. Ah, P. Never heard um, since we're talking about good covers, I'm gonna shout out to just like real fast. Uh, Lord does a cover of Everybody Wants oh, to Rule it's the so World. Oh, so fucking good! It's so fucking good. Rules. Rules. I think they, it was for like a Hunger Games I haven't heard movie that one. or I something. It, uh, uh, it was for, um, I think it was for Hunger Games. Yes, it was also one of the them for Assassin's Creed Unity, yeah. and uh, it's real good. Rules, it's real good. When I realized um, what that was a cover of, I was like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, because most uh, covers are just like when Weezer covered Africa. It was like it's just Africa, but someone else is singing it. I fucking but hate Weezer's nerdy. Doing it. Yeah, yeah, but this was like, oh. This is a Tears for Fears song, right? Yeah, this is a transformative like, work. Yeah, we have, it's we have made it's this song into something else. Different. It's so on good. that same track, and this is the wildest one. Uh, the cover of the Simon and Garfunkel song "Sound of Silence" by the band Disturbed is one of the best fucking songs. <laughs> it's real good. <laughs> it's, it's it's like I'm transformative. Not lie to you, Kevin. I never pegged you as someone that has ever even heard of Disturbed. Ooh, ah! uh, it's not aside from that. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not my band of choice. Not my type of music. However, their cover of "Sound of Silence" is 
on another plane of existence. It just like turns that song, which is like fine. It's Simon and Garfunkel. Their songs are all like, and they're fine. Disturbed fucking blows that shit and makes it a song that makes you want to like weep <laughs> from like the, the epic expanse that is unfold. Put on, Dude, put on the, your over the, your headphones and just jam to disturb. Simon cover. and Garfunkel version starts and it's like, hello, darkness, my old friend. And it's like, nope. Nope, this should be brooding and angry because David Draymond just adds this like growly, gravelly barret. It's so fucking good. And by the time you get they, to like, pulled, and uh, the words uh, of the yeah. prophets are written on the oh, subway so walls. Uh, and yeah. gentlemen, it's so good. It's so Rules. good. I'm going to fucking listen to that 17 times in a row <laughs> after we get off the <laughs> after we get off the call here tonight. Uh, anyway, that, that's what I can say about this episode of Community. Is go <laughs> that's the outro song for this episode. <laughs> I don't want to get copyright dinged. Um, if you talk I, about the music that you are using in your podcast, it, it is, is scholarly. <laughs> it is. It is now what you're saying. It's technically legal. That doesn't mean that SoundCloud won't take it off based on their own personal terms. Oh, of sure. Yes, you're right. In the same you're way right. that YouTube video reviews of a movie should be able to be. 40% clips of the movie legally, but based on YouTube's own terms of service. it The copyright oh, yeah. law actually doesn't factor in. I did a um, review for a game uh, using yeah. the footage from the game and music from the game, and YouTube was mm -hmm. like, you can't use this music. And I reached out to the game, and they were like, yeah, sorry, this shouldn't have happened. We'll fix it. Yeah. <laughs> so that was and nice. The, but yeah, yeah you're and, right. That shit happens all the time. Yeah, because it's not actually the legality of copyright law, and please don't get me started about copyright law. Uh, Walt Disney has ruined it for everyone, but, um, do don't worry, we're going to get Ratatouille the musical though. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Dude, uh, but so just, just, down. just, I want, I, just like, again, everyone sit down in your chair and think about the fact that literally anything made before the year 1960 should currently be in the public domain. And you can thank Walt Disney that it is not. Uh, so technically right now we should all be able to write our own Batman comics and uh, sell them, but we can't. Well, um, that would no, that's not true because Batman is still being made, and therefore they still own the rights. It is well, that is current copyright law. The way copyright law worked initially, it was what sixty years after pub. It was a certain amount of time after publication, or a certain amount of time after the death of the creator. So mm -hmm. Batman should have been in the public domain decades ago by the original copyright law, but it has since been changed and amended essentially to keep Mickey Mouse. Uh, it's every time Mickey Mouse is up for copyright renewal. Every time we're approaching the point where Mickey Mouse would be up for renewal, Disney lobbyists... Disney flexes its fucking... They get the law extended that much longer. They so, can't just buy it back? No, because if... So it would become if, free domain, so anybody yeah, can if, do it. If original copyright law, if the way that the law was intended to work at its inception kept going and wasn't modified there would be no way for them to own mickey mouse because walt disney has been dead for x amount of years and mickey mouse was created x amount of years ago it literally wouldn't have anything to do with you have to use it this many times that fantastic four shit is contract law not copyright law does that make sense yeah yeah and the so, only reason the contract laws exist is because those copyright laws fall fall in place because, because they've Fox been would be able to make whatever so the fuck they wanted with the Fantastic Four, because the Fantastic Four are right. 60, 50 years old. Yeah, would have been public domain 
decades ago. Um, Can you imagine if just like anybody could make fucking Star Wars in 20 years? The amount of good ass fucking Star Wars we'd get? And badass Star Wars. Just any amount of Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. I've um, talked just... about this before, and it's another diversion, but like the reason why people are so gung ho for. Uh, 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 I mean, they're gung ho for Star Wars, don't get me wrong. And like, Kevin, I know you're not a Lanigan Skywalker, but still. Uh, like, but... the reason people are so gung ho for. Um, what's the fucking British sci fi time travel? Doctor. Doctor, Doctor Who. Who? Doctor Who. I wanted to say Doctor Strange the whole fucking Doctor time. Doctor what? Thank Inspector you, Inspector Space Time, for fucking that Inspector, up. By being a British Inspector, Inspector Space Time. time. Yeah, Inspector yes. Space Time. So the people reason are so gung people. The reason people are so gung ho for Doctor Who or Star Trek is because they've been around for sixty plus years, and there's a lot of it. And there's yes. good, and there's bad, and there's in between. And people go, I like Next Generation. I don't like Deep Space Nine. Or people say, I liked Christopher Eccleston as the Doctor. I didn't like David. Whoever. Whoever else. David Whoever Tennant? Else. You got that so backward, but okay. I, <laughs> I'm uh... not saying that's my opinion. I've never watched more <laughs> than playing, a few I'm clips playing, of I'm Doctor playing. Who. But my, my point is the reason why Star Wars is so contentious is because we don't have a fucking enough of it. And I hear that. I know people are like, I don't like Star Wars that much. That's fine. But if we had 60 years of Star Wars... You can pick and choose and go, I like this right. and don't like that, and that's okay, because there's a ton of stuff for me to choose. And instead, right. Star Wars has had three movies, and then a 35-year break, and then three movies, and then a 20-year break, and then five movies. Right, and, and what we we're discounting just get, like, is all the, out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. all the books and all the comics and all the video games, but that transfer of medium does change it in people's perception. Yeah. For a lot of people, Star that's... Wars is the movies and the Mandalorian. And that you and know, that's, may, that's some yeah. people might call it Clone Wars, but and God bless the Mandalorian, exactly to what Jace is saying. God bless the Mandalorian, because Mandalorian's created or largely co created and written by Dave Filoni, who is the creator of Clone Wars and Rebels. And he's basically just like, I've been writing Star Wars lore on the Disney dime for a decade and a half. And now I'm going to make it all live action because they're still paying me to do this shit. And so it's just validating a bunch of Star Wars that nobody gave a shit about. And now all of a mm-hmm. sudden we're diving back into Clone right. Rebels for all the shit. And about the thing the is, I'm not much of a Star Wars movie. person. Like I never – it wasn't really my thing. But I fucking love Mandalorian. Mando's so good. I don't, I don't know what it is about Mandalorian that I like. There's something – it's like a totally different vibe from the rest of the series and all that stuff. Just that space western, just I space western and Akira Kurosawa. It's the old samurai film mm-hmm. style of like we're gonna make big set pieces that look really good and have long really, shots, really dynamic movement. And not long necessarily shots. a lot of dialogue at points in time. Just yeah. also puppetry, good yes. old fashioned yes. fucking also puppetry. Also, it falls into. I'm sorry, I'm derailing this podcast so much. It falls into the thing that I don't know if, if we've had the conversation, but my uncle and I definitely have had the conversation of like every movie is a single sentence, but expanded upon. So like we okay. will, I will ask people, what is Jurassic Park about? Have I done this with you? Oh, no. I don't think so. No. Okay. So give me in uh, one or two sentences, what's Jurassic Park about? Um, a bunch of scientists visit a theoretical dinosaur park to test its viability. All right. Jace. Period. Shit breaks loose. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Jace? Just because it is a scientific possibility does not mean we should do it. Okay. 
Both of you are wrong. So, okay. <laughs> and here's why. Interesting. And I don't mean that aggressively because you're right about different things. Um, Kev, yours – actually, Kev and Chase, both of yours, you're, that's the setting. Jurassic okay. Park is ostensibly about a guy who doesn't like kids learning oh. to love his kids. I see. You're doing you're doing screenwriting 101 oh. stuff. Is that yeah. like E.T. So is actually about a kid getting over his missing father. It's not about a kid sure. who finds an alien. Right. right. So, like, you tell that story through what what setting, right? So, Jurassic Park's about a guy learning to like love his own kids, and you put it in a park full of dinosaurs where people are taking science scientific ethicality out of the fucking question and just doing whatever uh, they can. Jeff Goldblum, thank you for delivering the. Everybody tried to figure out what they could do, and no one asked if they should do it. Um, but Mandalorian for me is that it's a dude with a kid on his own being a bad dad and trying to figure out how to fucking do it right while also doing all this shit. So all the times he's like, get that out of your mouth or like, stop yeah. doing that. I feel that so much because sure. it's like my life the last yeah. four years. It's, it's you know, Star it's Wars, that... Lone Wolf and Cub is is mm-hmm. what yeah. it seems to, I haven't seen it, but trope. that seems what it is. Yeah. No, but that's that trope that's fundamentally built upon is the idea of like, you know, old callous fighting man must learn sensitive side to take yeah. care of tiny babies. Yeah, it's The Last of Us and God of War as well. It's so, I mean, it's, so many... It's Logan. It's, like, it's yeah. X-Men 1 as well. Like, it's... it's like, yeah, it's all these people... It's all these people that have been fans of this stuff for their entire lives and now have kids. So they're like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make shows about what it's like to be a dad. So you get all these <laughs> movies and shows and games about dads. Which I'm fine with that. I just want more movie shows and games about moms that are good. Because my Ooh, wife's like, this is good, but like, where's the one about the mom that's eating candy because she doesn't want to fucking try anymore? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. yeah, I would watch that too. I mean, then there's also the trope that even I have fallen victim to of that Disney does all the damn time, which is the dead mom. Right, and the not just not a mom. She's dead. <laughs> right, she's dead. And the real answer here is that parents are expensive to animate. So if we only need one, <laughs> yeah. if we only need one, let's only give Belle and Andy from Toy Story, and we can keep going. Like if we only need one, let's only design and animate one. Yeah, <laughs> like you, we, you can pay a child actually a whole lot to, less. They also Par- didn't want to ostracize kids who only had one parent. Sure. So there was also that aspect. I think they it. came up with that reason. I think it's also parents are expensive. It's expensive to I animate anyone. So if we don't need because them, the idea of Disney avoiding reinforcing the nuclear family trope seems a little off-brand to me. Yeah, it's not suspect. It's just like okay, Little Mermaid. We only need Triton. So like, let's not put another one in. It's just Triton. Right. We don't need the other one. So let's right. save cost. And that's not me degrading them. That's that's making. We don't shit. need another voice actor. That's you don't shit. need another one. We don't like, um, you know, if a if a TV show doesn't need a character, get rid of that character, whether they're animated or not. Like, you don't need them anymore. Bye bye. It is what it is. Uh, speaking of the production process of making television, shall we talk about an episode of Community that they made essentially oh, to done. save money? Pillows and Blankets, Season 3, Episode 14. Well fucking done, Kevin. Dir- thank you. Uh, directed by Tristram Shapiro, written by Andy Bobro. Uh, in this episode, we uh, are treated to a mockumentary narrated by Keith David about the Greendale Civil War between Abed's <laughs> Blanket Fort, 
or no, Abed's pillow fort and Troy's yes. blanket fort and how that affects Greendale as a whole and specifically our favorite uh, cast of characters. Yes. Oh, I stand by my statement on Twitter. I would live in uh, Blanketsburg. Yes, I was as about to pull I, up the, as much the as I poll like results. Abed, I'm afraid Pillow Town would be a little too fascistic. <laughs> Interesting. Yes. Um, so I did ask, I asked the greater community community uh, to weigh in on this poll since we were doing this episode. Um, and I gave them three options to vote on. 201 votes reported. Wowee, uh, look at that. 26% say they would be a conscientious objector. So would not be on either side, would be like Britta or Jeff or Annie and take some third party role within the war. Mm-hmm. 27% say they would be a part of Abed's Pillow Town, mm. and in a whopping 47% are, wow. a, are a part of the legit Republic of Blanketsburg. <laughs> I love that name so much! <laughs> What's it? It's like the new something of Pillow Town and the legit Republic of Blanketsburg, or the forts of, the United Forts of Pillow Town, it's something like that. It's something I'm immediately imagining just like a backstory thing. Like, they're fighting over the names and, you know, basically being like, yours isn't a, a, a real, yours isn't a real town. And then Troy goes, yes, it is. It's in the name. <laughs> the, the legit territories of Pillow Town. Legit Republic. It's legit. legit. It's Re- legit. The legit Republic of, of Blanket. Yeah, I just, I love that. I also, what I was going to say, I'm not even going to lie to you. This might be one of my favorite episodes ever. Oh, yeah. oh and I, big time, big time. And it's amazing that they managed to pull it off. I think it's also because they managed to pull it off so specifically. It's like restriction. I forget who said this, and I might have said this on the show before, but like restrictions are like the mother of creativity. When you are 100%. confined to very specific sets of stuff, yeah. creative solutions must be made. And like – the way that they, I, it's it's amazing how anytime I watch this episode, I am immediately back in a fucking high school history class that I fucking hate. Watching <laughs> some documentary about some Ken Burns Civil War documentary, right? And then this, this is, but this is also just like so entertaining. We get a great grasp of all of the characters in a bunch of different ways, and it's memorable. It's funny. It's heartfelt. It's exciting. It's bizarre. It's just, it's everything that I've come to love about community yeah. in a really bizarre format. It's awesome. I love it so See, much. See, I differ from you a little bit, Jace, in that uh, when I was in high school, I was that nerd that everyone fucking, I literally have a very good friend who told me when she first met me in my high school history class, she thought I was annoying because I answered or asked questions every couple minutes. And I, I was like, oh, I was that dude. science classes. Oh, fuck I math. <laughs> math can get fuck fucked. Me. I would say fuck no, you. No, 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 not fuck you. Not fuck you. Not fuck you. Fuck math. Math can oh, get me? Math can, no, not fuck you. If you're good at math, the world needs you. I cannot help with that. What am I doing with it, Caleb? <laughs> <laughs> you're being the, you're being a number of, on this podcast. But anyway. Oh, a um, number. <laughs> I love this episode as well, but I love this episode because I, have always, for some reason, probably because I'm obsessive about information, I've always loved documentaries. I don't know why. They're great. But and fucking, I've always fucked with them. Like, even as a kid, being like, Ken Burns yeah. is so good at making them. Like, I know they're, they're all, like, 12 good. hours long. Put some respect on Ken Burns' 
fucking name because that because that thing in in documentaries where we zoom in or out on a photograph guess who fucking did that ken burns that's ken if you download iMovie (laughs) and you insert a jpeg the effect to zoom in or out is called the ken burns effect put some fucking respect on his name (laughs) you can literally ken burnsify your photo albums on your iphone because they know it works for some reason getting slightly closer or slightly further or just moving slightly to the right works for people and it just makes it fucking dynamic it just makes it a visually interesting piece um, yeah. And and if you keep you can up also to storytell with that, that yeah. there's a great example of it with uh, the end of the episode where Britta finally gets a good picture, but it was an accident because she was trying to get the waffles, and all they do is just the slow pan to blurry waffles. Blurry fucking brilliant, brilliant, brilliant works. It's you can use it to tell the fucking, fucking joke. Bro, you can use it for a fucking dramatic reveal. You can use it. It's a beauty. This this episode. Fu- it's one of the best genre parodies or pastiches or homages whatever that they've ever done because they completely, it's the best I'll completely that. nail this style they abs down to the i know they like cheat in a couple ways by having like scenes of dialogue but like it's literally it's only the scenes where you couldn't do it through still images it's just the scenes where we need troy and abed and to, like, they still actually even talk. with doing that they maintain it as a documentary right it's it's camera footage or it's hidden camera footage or the guinness rep uh cameras like whatever you yes um, it's all they, found footage yeah it's it's Basically. found footage that they've pieced together like a like a real documentary um there's also this kind of um including getting kind of feel to it which is uh-huh. really fun especially yeah. in the pillow man charge <laughs> like that feels... uh-huh. or like there's this one it's a really short clip like shot on a phone basically kind of thing where it's where oh it's the they're playing the like cards. a card game yeah and then it's like what's going on and they look out and then it peaks up and oh it feels like running. old war docks yeah it's great and you then there's like the like, shouting and people are like ah, it's great yeah, and then there's a pillow that flies in from the side directly to cover the frame and it's a fabulous transition to that blackout oh my god it's so good it's so exciting. <laughs> Also, yeah. one of my favorite, and this is jumping to the end a little bit, but we'll, we'll come back, I'm sure. Nah, but hit it, hit one it. of my favorite, like, you know, moving of pictures into, uh, one of my favorite things is when they take a picture and then turn it into a, a just a scene when it goes from, like, still to in motion. Mm. When at the end, when the final conflict is happening, and Shirley's like, and the screen starts to shake, and then she just starts beating the fuck out of kids with pillows. It's fuck, so man. good. It's so good. It's really, really fucking good. Um, it's it's so... And it's everything that I like about Community. Because it is, like, a big genre thing. There's also a ton of excellent jokes. Like, a really underrated joke is that Annie is the nurse. And it's just, like, she has <laughs> these, like, Gatorade bottles upside down. <laughs> and, like, yeah. uh, and she's, like, taking feathers off of people. Great bit. It has yeah, really good... Yeah, she's feeling good... bruised egos and lightly grazed testicles. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it has really good character beats for pretty much everyone, uh, all of our main cast, and it also is remarkably heartfelt, and there are moments of this that are not funny. They're just legitimately emotional. Like, when Troy and Abed are sending nasty fucking texts and emails, 
it hurts. Like There's it's even that moment at the at the very end where they're like, "Doesn't that tell you everything you need to know?" That like they they say, "Why are you still fighting?" It's like because this is the last thing we'll ever do together. And it's just like, oh, ooh, it's it's just right. And to pin so it all on the Jeff Winger of it all, that it's like this whole thing actually hinges on whether or not Jeff will get out of his own way and just, like, embrace his silly friends. And, like, the realization that we get to is, like, Jeff is never going to be this guy. Um, He'll embrace a genre parody when it pays off for him to be a cowboy or be a diehard action hero, but he won't do it if it's a silly pillow and blanket for a thing. Um, But he will allow his friends to do it, and he will participate just enough to facilitate that friendship. I find that very emotionally touching. Um, I, I, that really hits me in a, in a good, nice way that I like. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's super unexpected, right? Cause like most of the show, Jeff is the super dismissive, like this is fucking dumb or you're fucking children kind of guy because he's he above it. He's older and he is in this episode, but when he heel turns and goes, no, nah, like these people are genuinely arguing over some shit that's dumb and to fix it, I have to play ball with them and like, it's worth it. To like make sure these guys stay friends. It, I remember seeing it the first time and being like, "Oh damn, is this about yeah. to get poignant for some reason?" And the like the, the talking head where he's like, "I actually went all the way back to the deep." Yeah, exactly. <sighs> he's like, "I could have oh, just gone around the corner." So good. I could have just gone around the corner, but I went and, back and found and like he dusts them off and like mm-hmm. stretches them back. It's, it's and very to good. like juxtapose that with Annie, who's just so used to his shit, and knows him so intimately at this point, probably better than anybody, unfortunately, but. Um, but like to have her literally be like he just (laughs) he just like he just she's like oh yeah he just went around the corner and waited a little bit of time which was a nice touch and then you know to hear that which is what we expect yeah and I find even after having seen this episode several times now there's still I know what's gonna happen but it still catches me off guard yes exactly thank you it's so good it's so good it's great because it's like you're like you just said. It's like the the assumption of who Jeff is and what he would do, and then mm-hmm. like the unsung nobody saw Jeff actually giving a shit. Mm-hmm. That like lets us the audience be that you know audience in a in a you know in the theater at Stratford upon Avon where the chorus tells us some shit, and then we watch it and we've got that dramatic irony. It's using that dramatic irony like to just let us know like you should care about this dude. Because he actually does care. You right. just, the rest of the people just assume he kind of cares. But like deep down, he really fucking does. And that's super cool. Yeah. Right. This yeah. this episode occurs at about the same point in its season that like Abed's Uncontrollable Christmas and the D&D episode happened in the previous season, right? And, and Oh, shit. <laughs> com- compare Jeff's behavior in those episodes to his behavior in this episode. That like... In, in Abed's Uncontrollable Christmas, he essentially writes himself out pretty early on because he's like, guess I have to go get laid. And of course he like comes back, but he's not into the claymation. He's not going to play pretend with Abed. He's not going to do it. Um, and even though he ultimately like comes to a certain point of realization with, with Neil, um, he is also going to spend most of the D&D adventure calling Dungeons and Dragons silly. And he's, and he's going to spend most of that time not giving the the medium that he and his friends are playing in the credence um, that and it perhaps one, he emotionally almost does deserves. the opposite. 
Right, exactly. He eggs on both sides. Right, he's going to play it in. He's going, I mean, he's he literally is like this guy who's going to go from this side of the, he's a war profiteer, right? He's going for this side of the war. He's going to egg them on. He goes to this side of the war. He's going to egg them on. He's fucking uh, Benicio Del Toro in The Last Jedi. Where oh, he's like, I was going to say the same shit. Thank you so much for bringing up the fucking <laughs> Star Wars movie. Um, and he's going to be like, actually, like the rich people on that casino planet that were dope, uh, it was they they sell war, war materials to everybody. They don't care. Uh, so don't... that scene is so fucking good. Sorry, go on. Yeah, sorry. Benicio good the movie. is criminally underused in that movie. But when he's like, "Yo, the people you think are dope are profiting off this shit," and they don't I care who he's, wins. I think there. he's used like exactly enough for like the amount of doing that this? he's doing. Uh, the last he's... Jedi. He's DJ in The Last Jedi, the stutter guy. That's seven on the uh, casino planet, or eight on the casino planet. He shows up with his boots around, he's in the Mm. prison, and he stutters a lot. I don't know how else to describe this character. (laughs) It's Benicio Del Toro playing the collector, but in the Star Wars universe. (laughs) Right. Um, Benicio's doing a lot, period. Um, but, uh, I like two Star Wars movies, and The Last Jedi is one of them. Um, but, uh, that... Uh, a New Hope. I think that's a good movie. Yeah, it's like a fun uh, space romp. I like when they're on the Death Star. I like it. <laughs> I like when they're inside like, of it. Yeah, that, I like that, when that they're outside one. of it. <laughs> I think they got it. I think they got it good. And then it took them uh, literally forty years to make another one that I like. But good job, you made another one. That I like. <laughs> uh, um. Anyway, Nothing sorry. Wrong with being picky about your content. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's not. I'm not trying to take it away from anybody else. It's just like I don't know. It doesn't mean anything to me. Um, and here's the thing. Here's the thing, nerds around the world that are listening to this podcast, because we know you're out there. Um, yeah. Nobody can take away your ability to like a fucking thing. Yeah, just because <laughs> I don't like it doesn't mean shit, you have to. Yeah, if they try to talk shit, that's their opinion. It's cool. I know people that don't like Star Wars, and I'm in a podcast with one of them. Yeah, I will never say that anyone is like dumb for liking Star Wars. It's just not. It's just not for me. But the ones that resonate with me, I like a lot. Um, there's just only like two of them. I just like but, Mandalorian. Uh, <laughs> yeah, someone someone came into my like Twitter DMs on the day I was going on a hike and was like, "Ryan Johnson is a hipster, and you shouldn't like Knives Out or The Last Jedi." And I was like. Hipster. Eat shit. Also, Hipster. what? <laughs> Knives Out's a good movie. Knives Out. Knives he, was like, he was like, it's ironic, and I'm like, listen, the 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 cornerstone of being a hipster is like irony, right? It's like a divorce from earnestness, and you can say a lot of things about Ryan Johnson and his movies. They're all very earnest. They're all very oh like straightforward. They're very emotional. They play with their genres and franchises, but 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 love the genres and franchises they're playing in. Yeah, Brick how is you a watch great knives. Sorry, go, right. go ahead. Okay. No, it's okay. But like Brick is a great noir. Whether or not they're like remixing noir, Brick is a great noir. Looper is a great sci-fi movie. Uh, Last Jedi, sorry. Great Star Wars movie. Uh, Knives Out, excellent whodunit. And even though each of those things plays with the well-worn territory of those genres or properties, they are loving contributions to them. They yeah, add yeah. to them by well, playing with them. Like my my brain, when you mention all of those movies, it's been too long since I've seen Brick. But like, if you, Great fucking you play. can't... Good fucking you play. can't watch... It's on Netflix. I need to just watch it over my just break. Just watch it. Instead of Home with a Newborn... Um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's best performance. He's um, so good. He's so good. So and I, that's good. encouraging. But, like, 
You can't watch Looper and see a scene where a guy who's, you know, in the, what is he, in the past being tortured by Jeff Daniels and watch him in the, or no, yeah, 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 in the past he's being tortured and in the future he's like, his body parts are disappearing because he's being tortured in the past and it's altering who he is in the present and say that person wasn't earnest about telling a time travel story. You can't watch The Last Jedi and have uh, the nods to Akira Kurosawa and like the just full on let's devote this to being about bad teachers because Star Wars should have been about this all along and say this person wasn't earnest. And you can't watch Knives Out and watch a movie about that's a whodunit that also has a really strong, really pointed commentary about the far right and about immigrants and about who deserves to be here and say that this dude doesn't make his movies in fucking earnest. Yeah, Yeah, the movie's about privilege and immigrants and just shit people that think that they're nice because they have money and pay people that are different colored than them to do things for them. Like, while fucking, excuse me, while Don Johnson is, like, trying to get Marta to be on his side, he just wordlessly holds his dish out for her to collect like a fucking douchebag. It's so good. So, yeah. so, sorry, whoever told you Ryan Johnson's a hipster has never paid attention to a Ryan Johnson movie. Yeah, Because yeah, yeah. he's earnest I, about every story he tells. 100%. And, like, what? You didn't like his three great episodes of Breaking Bad? Like, what? Are you coming into my house? And you're going to fucking tell me? I love that <laughs> this just turned into, like, a seven-minute session of y'all just dunking on some kid that went into Kevin's DMs. <laughs> I think it was, like, a. I think it was like an older guy, because he was like, you would, uh, you should watch the 70s whodunits, but if you like Ryan Johnson, you probably wouldn't like them. And I'm like, fuck off. Like, I've seen the whodunits. Like, like I've why do you think, them. why do you think I'm, like, and I was, like, I tried, I was, like, one, I laid out, be, I'm not... tried to be nice about it. Yeah, I'm like, I'm not getting into a fight about The Last Jedi. I'm not... I've left that life behind. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm Luke Skywalker in the fucking hut. I'm like, I'm not gonna do this. Um, but I was like... He was like, you know, right, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you think I ain't seen the noirs that he references in Brick? Like, you think I ain't seen the sci-fi that he references in Looper? Yeah, good job just assuming I didn't do my research. Yeah, like, just because I like new movies doesn't mean I don't also like old movies. Like, this weekend, it's Mank Weekend, baby. So we're double featuring Citizen Kane and Mank, baby. And that's what we're going to do. Fuck yeah. Um... And, uh, like, you, you think I ain't seen the fucking con man movies that Brothers Bloom is referencing? No, I just also like... Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to dunk on uh, this no, guy. It's fine. But he, he really, like, me pissed of- me off. I was... <laughs> I was going to the woods to have a nice hike with my girlfriend, and this dude decided to pick a fight with me on Twitter.com. <laughs> and it just, like, there's really a, rubbed me the wrong way. There's a really good... And I, you can take or leave Tool as a whole. That's fine. The you don't band. have to like them. Yes. Okay. But they have a okay. really good song that's specifically about a fan saying they sold out to the man. And, like, their <sighs> response is, like, if I'm the man, then you're the man, and you can put your fucking finger up your own ass. That feels very much like Kev's energy to this dude being like, you should do your research. <laughs> like, fuck you, dude. I, I, I know what I'm about. You That's think I ain't seen fucking double indemnity? Digitally. Why don't yeah, you digitally fuck. explore your own interior space, you You're fucking idiot? <laughs> That's a Why new don't... insult I'm going to use uh, as often as I can. Go digitally explore yes. your interior space. 
Yeah. Uh, It's a long one. It's a good one. But speaking of film and going back to Caleb's earlier point, I think Pillow Town is fascistic, but not in a Mussolini way. It's like a it's like a Kubrick way. It's like a like we are going for the sake of art. We are all going to be tortured, uh, and that's just that's it's just like not the way you do it. Sure. Yeah, it's like uh, right. It's still it's, fascism, just just pretty. You know what? It's, I might have yeah. to recant this because I don't know if it's fascism as much as it is like the idea of Scandinavian Yanta law. That's like, <laughs> what? I'm a nerd, guys. I'm a real big fucking nerd. <laughs> So Scandinavian oh, Yanta law is this. Hold on, please. Scandinavian Yanta law, um, in in their tongue, Yanta Loven is <laughs> is this idea is this idea that like the we is more important than the I, and like it's like ten tenets that are built on like you are not to think you are smarter than us as not like not like uh, establishing an other, but establishing the individual versus the community. Like, you are not to think you're smarter than us. You are not to think you are better than us. You are not to think... So it's this idea of breaking down the individual as the tentpole of society and building up the idea of the community as the society itself. And I think that Abed might be more into that. communism. (laughs) It's not far from it, but they still have a free market. They're not communists. It's a different situation, for sure. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a breakdown of what we would have here as the middle, low, and upper class people into like who gives a fuck what you make, who gives a fuck what you've done, who gives a fuck who you parented. You are still a member of this community regardless of that dumb shit, which I think's dope. But whatever. I don't, I don't know if I think Abed would be like a fascistic ruler as much as I think like. He would be uh, if you were helping him build. He would be kind of totalitarian, not necessarily mm-hmm. fascistic. Sure. sure. Um, yeah. The and, and... but I think being a citizen is different than being a member of the government. I think that it would be potentially more comfortable, a little bit more structurally sound. Um, I would feel less afraid to cook in pillows than I would in blankets. Um, <laughs> no, absolutely. It's because the, the 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 episode is not subtle about this being a war of artistic ideals as much as it is right. a war exactly. of friendship. And it's um, and I don't think and the episode I think specifically doesn't come down on either side because it is a difference of ideals, not a right and a wrong. Um, do you sacrifice practicality? Sacrifice probably success for the sake of what you see as artistic integrity or sticking to your artistic vision even more so? Or do you sacrifice that for ease, populism? Do you sacrifice what you, a perceived sense of of artistic supremacy? over a design right do you do you make the art movie or do you make the popcorn movie do you go for the art house audience or do you go for the populist audience um and and i think the best things strike a balance between the two not to be a centrist (laughs) in this that's not that's not but i don't think that's necessarily a centrist uh i don't think centrism exists in art that is a whole it's a different third discussion. viewpoint, right? It's like the Lego movie, right? It's like, yes, it's a movie about fun Legos. It's also a movie about how to make art within the studio system. Don't get me started. Uh, <laughs> Jesus, this podcast is incredible. It's I'm wild. on it, and I want to listen to it every single Absolutely. time we fucking read it. 
<laughs> Someday I'll do. I will eventually convince my movies for babies co-hosts. So just let me do the Lego movie, and that movie will that episode will be three hours long. <laughs> that movie will about me talking about how fucking good that movie is. Also, I haven't Alice seen this. Where's it? Also, Allison Breeze in that movie. Yeah, Unikitty. That movie Unikitty. is great because <laughs> it's like who's who's your favorite supporting actor on your favorite sitcom? Oh, they're in the movie. Uh, <laughs> Nick Offerman, Charlie Day, Allison Brie. Um, Will Arnett. Elizabeth Banks. Will Arnett. Will Arnett. And uh, forgive me, it was 2014 Chris Pratt. Um, they're in the movie. <laughs> yeah. It was a different time. What are we going to do about him? Uh, we, need, we need him to. We need him let's to be kill him. About... <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I think I need him to be more clear about what he actually thinks. Yeah. I think I think because I think he's something... he's kind of just been like I go to this church and people are like yeah, but that church fucking sucks and then he just turns off his phone it's like but he's decidedly take... apolitical and the thing that's it's the problem with that isn't that he's actively doing something one remaining neutral in the face of oppression is siding with the oppressor one first and foremost two also right. remaining apolitical in a decidedly political world where politics affect literally livelihoods is such an intense position of privilege that it's deeply disturbing, especially coming from, although it is flawed in a lot of the execution from a lot of the other members of the Marvel casts and such, um, Marvel, as far as Disney property goes, is far more politically minded, politically outspoken, if you will. They're not perfect by a long shot, but like... Yeah, like half of those movies are literally funded by the U.S. military, so like... (laughs) But you know, but there's all, but there's at the same time understanding uh-huh. the basis of where the info comes from, right? Marvel Comics has always done little things throughout its history to push things forward. Fundamentally, just the idea of a bunch of Jews in a room got together and decided they were going to draw a picture of a of a superpowered dude punching Hitler in the face yeah. during World War Two in the nineteen forties. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah and like, bunch- it, it, it goes. It doesn't. It doesn't stop there, right? It's not like they no. did that and then they got political again. No, like the reason why going. Captain America becomes the Nomad and drops the shield is because of Watergate and because yes. Captain America right. can't stomach supporting the American government. And it takes, literally, Civil it takes- War is Captain America in the in the movie one specifically because Civil War in the comics is a whole mess. But the yeah. Civil Suck War shit, movies. Yeah. Like, where he goes, no, I'm not going to just sign on to this American thing. Because to him, the ideal is something different. Now, yeah, well, it's it's, it's similar to that Watergate thing, is that, like, he became nomad to drop the shield in Watergate because of that. I can't yeah, fuck when... with the American government. And then he gets convinced later you can support the people, not the government. Whatever. That's done. Blah, blah, blah. But then in 2016, in fucking 2016, a month after elect the election of Donald J. Trump, Captain America again drops his shield and puts on all black because he can't get on the side of the government. And it's like, right. yeah, it's convenient that movie that was in development for a year and a half came out at that time. But it, they didn't remove that. They left it because it's still Captain America being like, I don't fuck with America right now. <laughs> and like, yeah. that's politics and comics. That's how it fucking works. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's to say nothing so of the X-Men, which came really, around in the 60s. Right. That's to sure, say nothing exactly. of, like... And then the reboots of the X-Men. Right. And then Iron Man only exists because, like, Marvel Comics had courted such a hippie East Village audience that they're like, can we get these guys to like, like, a war profiteer? Like, can we get our audience <laughs> to... to empathize yeah. with this guy on this yeah. complex character which then in the movies they managed to of course give just in the in the most insane yeah. art possible but like yeah basically what i'm trying to say is like also even within the cast you've got fairly outspoken folks right yeah. i mean mark ruffalo 
Mark, Mark Ruffalo, fucking Ruffalo, fucking Zendaya. Okay, the like Ruffalo, you know, Buffalo in this bitch. Right, and, of course. But then you have Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> right, this is Zendaya. the thing where it's interesting. Mark Ruffalo is out here defending Chris Pratt, which is like, okay, right. where the fuck were you when like, people were just absolutely like gassing on Brie Larson? Like, where was indeed. this energy then? Right, indeed. But, um, so, but it's so it's interesting because part of me goes. I mean, the part of me that still has a little bit of faith in Mark Ruffalo. I don't know why I do, but I I do. I say um, go for it. He seems like, okay. Yeah, he's, by, seems like, he's by, also you know. he also got into that situation where he was like, I like him as a friend, but I don't yes. like what he does. No, so no, no. Like, but then you don't fucking say anything. You let him work through his bullshit. That is yes. not your fight, Marky boy. That's not your fight. I think, I think so Mark it, made an error in judgment. Despite, I think, as far as this scale goes, being largely someone you can back behind. Right. So part of me is hoping that um, uh, Chris Pratt just comes from a a background where he's scared to be open about his more progressive views. uh, Because he doesn't want to feed. This is totally bullshit. This is totally not it. Part of me is like, he doesn't want to feed into the idea that, like, oh, there's a liberal elite in Hollywood. Right? He doesn't want to feed into that. But it's mm. already a theory that a lot of people have. It's already messed up. It's complicated. Neoliberalism is a fucking plague. But the idea – part of me is like just say something, right? Just come out and say something about who you are because if you can remain this quote-unquote neutral or apolitical, that's not going to cut it, especially in – albeit Disney's completely toned-down version of political art – an innately political art form. Comics have always been political. They've been politicized. They've been art political. is pol- art is political. Art is well, political. Right. Exactly. Yes. Um, we talked briefly. I know we're about to rank, and this episode's really long. That's fine. We talked about superheroes and their evolution. It was. It was. We talked about heroes and their evolution. I just wanted to point out that my favorite superhero is still Batman, and it's because <laughs> over Batman's history, he's gone from being. The world's greatest detective, a dark knight, to, like, just the picture of an entitled, rich, white asshole who beats the shit out of mentally ill people. And, like, the good versions of those comics address that a lot, and it's fucking awesome. <laughs> it's yeah, fucking like, awesome. whenever Frank Miller is doing Batman, he's like, oh, we're doing this? We're, we're doing this? Okay, cool. Oh, dude, the fucking Sean Gordon Murphy Batman, White Knight. Batman literally drugs Joker so much that he goes straight and, like, is a good guy. But then, like, Joker realizes what Batman did to him and turns Gotham against Batman. It's fucking great. It's fucking great. Uh, Wait, which storyline is this? It's called Batman White Knight. It's like a separate universe story. Most most great DC stories are in their own separate contained (laughs) universe. And that's not me slighting them. It's just literally true. Like, All-Star Superman, the greatest Superman story of all time is its own separate universe. Um, It's just just how DC plays, and that's fine. Um, One of the reasons I like the X-Men so much, they're not cops. Uh, They are, in fact, the people that the cops go after. Um, but, um, right. anyway, I've, I've opened up the rankings sheet, um, <laughs> yeah, as we, we, we should we maybe to... broach on this, um, yes. at, at this time. What the fuck are the end tags for these episodes? What oh, shit. Digital exploration. Uh, I don't think there is an end tag on the first one, but the second the one end tag is... The first one's the beginning of the war, isn't it? Hold on. Hold on, loves. I'm no, they it. say to be continued. I think it's I think it's just like the paintball episode, they don't do an end tag. Hold on. 
Um, oh, no, it's uh, Vice Dean Laybourne meeting with the weird guy, and that's where he blows on the trumpet. Oh, it's the Baron Zemo moment. Turning them against each other. You. Oh. Fucker, gotcha. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, that's where he okay. puts on Kelvin and the Zeros and blows a trumpet. It's most season three end tags actually kind of suck because they're just plot, so they're not like they're not classic Troy and Abed funnies. Except it's for like, the end, except for the end tag on the second episode. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, there, are, there are of course exceptions uh, Which to is this rule. So good. Uh, ba, 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 ba. So uh, uh, Kelvin and the Zeros. Um, I don't know. Not as good as Leonard's frozen pizza review. <laughs> Number thirty-five. Uh, <laughs> uh, gangers not as good as gangers That's a classic. Why did he call me? Why did he call um, me? <laughs> I do like this one more. Why did then? Why did he call me? But this, I don't know. You just put John me? Goodman in a funny hat. That's basically that's my voting scheme here. I would put. I would actually put this as the new forty-five. I think beneath that, but above Betty White but explains Inception. Betty White explains Inception. I can agree to those terms. Yeah, Caleb? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Are we all in a call? Kelvin and the Zeros. I can't think of anything else to call this. Uh, excellent. What is the second episode end tag? You know, scroll up there a bunch, buddy. I love this end tag. I what think is this, this is. This is the end tag. They're pretending to do like a like a the fundraiser video. Like it's after the oh the pledge ends. drive. They said, "Go ahead, give oh, some money." And they do like the fake cheesy. They're in that realm of playing pretend again. And there's I the love fake. It. It's like it's, it's such kind a of like a Troy and Abed in the morning episode. kind of reference. Yeah, yeah. But I love this bone. one so much. This one's um, good. It does this crack our top ten? Carol of the Changs. Which one is Carol of the Changs? That's the Christmas end tag where they, it's just characters doing their catchphrases as Carol of the Bells. Uh, I'm going to say this is my new number 10. Okay. I think beneath, this one just pushes Carol the Changs out. Beneath the Betty White Africa rap. I, I can probably side with that. I feel like Betty White should be 10 and Carol the Changs should be 9. I will it's... also go with that. I will actually also do that. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna actually we, side with Caleb on that. I changed my. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna move. We're, we're gonna, gonna for the reorder first time, the list for the first time in, in in this show in 40 plus weeks of this show. We are going to reorder the list. Kev is snapping the Infinity Gauntlet. I can't support this in time. Sorry, I'm dealing with Microsoft Word's internal <laughs> numbers. Wait, system. what are you doing? You said reorder them. That's what I'm doing. Wait, that uh, no, I what? That's what yes. Caleb think, said, and then you I said, said you I agreed. Think that Carol of the Changs is better than the Betty White Africa rap. And oh this no, you know what I thought you were saying? I thought you were saying put this end tag above both of those. I was. I mean that too. But I want Carol of oh, the Changs to be in the top ten. I don't think this, it's as funny as better Betty White Africa rap. This is this is Ooh, unprecedented. Oh, I, I see think. what I see. What's going on? That made me upset seeing that happen. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I didn't feel comfortable with that. Person. This not, is an audio not. medium for those of you who didn't have to watch this. Count yourselves Some, as blessed. Somebody, <laughs> please uh, think of the children. Not much of a fighter. Yes. Uh, yeah, I'll. I'll, I'll Can I just <laughs> shout out fucking Davos and Game of Thrones, the best character in the whole show? Sorry, go on. Yeah, no, great, great character. I'm a, I'm a little finger uh, man myself. Uh, Ooh, also yes. Like, Especially I also like. Uh, <laughs> I also like Varys. Uh, I didn't get far enough to see either of those characters die, so in my head they live forever. 
and uh, uh yeah that's... well Littlefinger becomes an interesting character Varys gets gravely injustice by by Benioff and D.B. Weiss oh he's a Game of Thrones character writing. then okay great one episode uh, don't worry you're that's... not missing a lot yeah, don't, don't. Well, you don't are missing a lot of like sexual assaults and them just like, yeah. remember that didn't happen. We simply can't. Oh, we cannot. <laughs> we this simply can't. Been all over the place. Yeah, there's not a Game of Thrones reference until Community season five, so let's keep it in our pants. Um, uh, so digital exploration of interior design. Does this crack our top twenty-five? Uh, current number twenty-five studies in modern movement. Which is a hashtag Annie's move for anyone that needs Ooh, it. Ooh, the first one <sighs> in the series? No. No, not for you? Um, Maybe. Actually, I I think it would be my number 25. No, this is actually, I, I, I kind of misjudged it. I, I I actually think this is actually, yeah, I would agree. This it's might be the it's not as good as horror fiction in Seven Spooky Steps. I don't think it is. But <laughs> the subway plot is really, 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 really good. It's really strong. Yeah, I'll, I'll take it. I'm done. Hell yeah. I'm sad uh, that it means that, like, hippie cannibal Jesus Christ isn't going to be Jesus in the top 25 anymore, but that's okay. But that's loves me just ridiculous. And drinking human blood. <laughs> S3E13. Sorry, I had to digital exploration of Subway's ass. Of <laughs> Subway's ass. Okay. Now, Big Man Pajama. Pillows and blankets. Up up I have scrolled this. up to. I have scrolled up to the top. Okay, top ten. It's conspiracy top five theories. Yeah, I think so as well. I was doing something dramatic. I was like building up to it. Um, I'm sorry, <laughs> I no, just got excited. Okay. No, I understand. <laughs> I uh, become cons- Jay's destroyer of Kev's plans. That's okay. <laughs> Drama. Uh, so yeah, our current number ten: conspiracy theories and interior design. I do prefer this episode to that one. Mm-hmm. Caleb. Conspiracy theories and interior design. Mm, oh, yeah. Wait, hold on. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> okay. I was I thinking mean, about it way too hard, and then I realized, like, no. It's the other, blankets. weirdly yeah, enough, the first Blanket Fort episode is getting yes. booted oh, out of the Is that him there playing one. the Traditsniks? <laughs> oh, God. That's a good Don't look at me. They had the permits. <laughs> I love it. They okay. had the proper permits. <laughs> they is... had the proper permits. A great episode. Uh, but it is, it will, wow, no longer in the top. Troy also this... grabs onto permits in both of these, too. Like, the idea of him bribing the dean. He's like, we have the proper permits. He hands him coupons. A bed, bath, and beyond coupon. There's more where that came from. Um, okay. <laughs> now, top five. A fistful of paintballs. The Western paintball pastiche. It's better. I th- think... This one is better, if better. only because it's just, like, way funnier. I yeah. love Fistful of Paintballs. It's not particularly funny. Right. There's good jokes in it, but it's not. It's This episode is fucking hysterical on top of everything yes. else that it's doing. Yeah. So that carries is, us up. Which one's intermediate documentary filmmaking? Is that Pierce in the hospital? Yeah, it's Pierce's bequeathments. <laughs> Should you go get an orderly? <laughs> I might put this one above that one too. I don't think I can go higher than that, but I think this might be number four for me. Yeah, because the next one above this is Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. I can't and do that, folks. I don't. It, this is not as good as Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Are we ever going to get it. that episode back? 
No. Uh, it is on Amazon Prime. Community is now streaming on Amazon Prime, and Advanced D&D is on Prime. It is not on Netflix or Hulu. Okay. Of course Jeff Bezos has no fucking qualms. <laughs> <laughs> I've recently taken to calling the Washington Post and Amazon Lex Luthor TV and Lex Luthor, the Lex Luthor Gazette. <laughs> Because that's I'm just so calling a square a fucking square at this point. That motherfucker oh, do so real bald headed ass. <laughs> he do look like Lex Luthor, especially the Frank Quitely uh, Lex Luthor from All Star Superman. Uh, anyway, uh, also notably <laughs> that Lex Luthor is in jail. Uh, okay, so Caleb, your thoughts on the ranking of this episode? I would like to see it go up, but that seems uh, impossible with what oh, we've you got. Would, you would see it higher? I, I want to hear mean, what I you would personally put I love this episode it. for a lot for myriad reasons. Like, it's a really good Troy and Abed episode. It's a really good episode of everybody showing who they can be in a different situation, which this show's really good at. Um, it's very funny. It's one of those niche fucking let's take a swing at another genre episode. Uh, which season three is so full of, uh, and this show is really, really good at. Um, I it's want got to push it because I thought I'd get pushback, but I, I could go higher. It's just, it's really good, and like, I would watch Advanced D and D like whenever it came on, and I would occasionally go looking for it. But as my wife, who is now sleeping, will attest, <laughs> she's seen this episode more than she's seen any episode of any show in her life. She wow. will yell at me every time this episode's on because she's like, this is all you watch. It's not. I just always happen to be watching this episode and she <laughs> in on me watching Community because this episode is just so fucking good. And if there's like one episode I watch more than that, it's Remedial Chaos Theory. So okay. I would put this at fucking two. I, you know what, Kevin? I hate to say this. I agree. Listen. I'll hear it. You know, I I I want I, I hate wanted to knock down your mixology certification because I know that's your baby. But I actually also playing into that. I was being I was being cautious. You were right? trying, yeah, you were trying not to offend. I initially. was being, trying not to offend. I literally at one point while thinking about this centrist episode, piece of shit. Yeah, <laughs> that's me. Absolutely. I at one point doing this pro like while going over this episode was like this might be my new number one i mean uh, remedial chaos theory is its own crazy 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 thing but i think for me i y'all know that troy and abed is my in right and this is just exactly what the show is to me uh is creative solutions to budget problems self-aware comments on those budget problems troy and abed having a wholesome relationship and seeing an actual struggle between that relationship, which is not something we really get anywhere else, and it pays off so well. We get an idea of who Britta is. Britta's probably the strongest we've seen her character so far in this episode. We see her perspectives on political ideas. We see her fucking that up. <laughs> um, we, get, we get, you know, uh, Pierce being an, a literal monster. Literal monster. Like, not mm -hmm. even. Hold on, yeah. hold on. Pierce being... He is part man, part killer. <laughs> All carnage. <laughs> Sorry. Please. I'm glad it worked again. I saw that. I was watching it. I was like, oh, this is a fabulous Iron Man reference, too. Um, then you yeah, he's got... Iron Monger. He's Iron Monger. That's true. He is Iron Monger. Obadiah wow. Stane. Wow. Yeah. Um, surely with two boys who I'm pretty sure are different actors than the two boys that are 
in the other episodes with her. I digress. Guaranteed. Um, and uh, but like her perspectives, we get to see her as a, a present voice in this episode, which unfortunately sometimes we don't really get. Um, and then Annie and Jeff probably executing their relationship in the best way that we've seen it executed in that it's it's weird but we understand the relationship to, I, 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 I I'm gonna I'm gonna say two I'm gonna say I agree with Caleb uh, just because remedial chaos theory has such an iconic standpoint and that's what they're doing with a full budget that I can't yeah. necessarily. Also, remedial chaos comes back multiple times. Right, that's a that's we a see the dark timeline intervention a couple of times. Yeah. Okay, so for both of you, this is your number two. Yeah. Yes. I'm just literally like doing an average just to see <laughs> where this. Uh, I'm just I'm just curious where this will come out. Plus four. What do you do? Well, it averages out to 2.66666 based on our personal rankings of this episode. But if we want this to be the new number two, the both of you have decided it's the new number two. And And I sound heartbroken. Hold on. No, it's heartbroken that we're doing this. Okay. Now, hold on. Now, hear me out here. (laughs) There was no excitement. You guys have decided that this is a. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I don't. It's it's merely that it's like uh, late. Uh, and this went a little bit later uh, than it normally does, but yes. Um, as I love Mixology certification, that's my personal baby. It's my number one episode. I also like understand that it doesn't mean it's number one in everyone's rankings. You know, I think it's remarkably high for being a non-genre episode, for being mm-hmm. mostly conceptual, kind of sad. I'm glad you both were on board for this. However, given the episodes after Pillows and Blankets, f- through the rest of the show, it feels pretty mathematically locked in that Mixology Certification will be in the top five by the end of our rankings, so I can feel pretty comfortable putting Pillows and Blankets. Sure. I have a hard two. time believing anything will knock this top three even, right? Like remedial I, chaos theory, this this one and mixology certification, just because they kind of hit the big three aspects of what make community so good. I agree. Yeah, don't ask, don't underestimate the power of the series. I around. mean, something might come around. We yeah, might just get I mean, to Portuguese gremlins and lose our fucking minds. Right. So who knows? I mean, the the series finale is excellent. I think that definitely stands a chance of being in the top ten. Current number ten compared to ten. Yeah, region. I don't think it'll knock top three though. I probably agree with you. Um, <laughs> there are other great episodes coming up. Um, the Lava World episode, the Lie Detector episode, oh, yeah. Ass Crack Bandit, uh, yeah. Garrett's Wedding, uh, Espionage Paintball, <laughs> the episode where the Dean quote unquote comes out as gay. Like, there's so many excellent episodes coming up. I feel pretty locked in that even most of those excellent episodes are not going to hit mixology so i can sort of i can i can lean back in my easy chair and know that my baby will be protected and that and that's okay (laughs) our new number two pillows and blankets i literally think nothing will beat remedial chaos theory like what the like what i don't think anything could because in because now also in order for you to get in order for something to beat remedial chaos theory it also has to be mixology and pillows and blankets yeah, and advanced D and D. Like it's like an yeah, episode no, we literally. Come. If anybody, if anybody wants to get the number one spot, they have to defeat the fucking Avengers, and it's not gonna happen. Yeah, I'm sorry. Like, 
the our core four Avengers here, right? Like Iron Man, Captain America, Hulk, and Thor. Like, I'm sorry, you're gonna come past them? No, <laughs> you're, you're gonna, not. You're not. We might get a Black Widow or a Hawkeye at some point, but like, no, they're not gonna. You can't. You can't tell. Maybe a Doctor Strange. Maybe a Spidey. But no, you're not. But gonna... not. Like, I'm sorry. Um, the the core four is locked in. I think the series finale could maybe crack top five um, with the current top five as it sits right yeah. here. Um, but it's it's Galdern late, so it's about time that we did uh, plugs. I, I us taking a week off last week uh, also allowed me to get some shit done. Uh, so, uh, by the time this episode is out, you will be able to view in its entirety Scooby-Doo and the Manson Family Murders, a virtual table read of a play that I wrote, uh, on YouTube, on my YouTube, Kevin Lanigan. Uh, you can, uh, check that out. It has, uh... Scott Thomas uh, from That Mark Ruffalo Show on HBO. Uh, it has Michael Smallwood from Halloween and Halloween Kills. Um, and it has a, uh, a ton of my favorite friends and collaborators, uh, Sam Ock, Caroline Amos, Vern Tooley, and myself as Scooby-Doo. Um, and I, it's an hour. I hope you enjoy it. Um, and there's also an audio version that will be on this very podcast feed preceding this episode. Um, and I do hope everyone uh watches and enjoys that and a plug for something coming up in the future uh on december 20th the one year anniversary of tom hooper's cats we will be doing a live watch along on that same youtube channel uh myself my friend jacob kelleher and uh alexander roman of the lincoln project we will all be watching uh tom hooper's cats and doing a live commentary oh my God. and then an audio version of that will be on this podcast feed that video will stay up on youtube uh that's uh december 20th time tbd but i'm sure i will update you <laughs> as the episode uh as that as that time draws nearer um, cats, a year in review yes one year since tom hooper's cats the beginning of the end uh <laughs> one of y'all tom can hooper's do cats gave us covid19 yeah, uh, I'm just saying yep. the I, I ordered a Target uh, package in March of la uh, this year. It had the Blu-ray copies of Little Women and Cats in it, and the day it arrived is the day New York City went on COVID lockdown. So... <laughs> <laughs> you literally ordered Pandora's box, and as you opened yeah, it, the world absolutely. came to a screeching halt. Yeah, it absolutely. checks out. Absolutely checks out. <laughs> but without that, would we be doing this podcast? So, you know, you take some... <laughs> Take the good, you take the bad. I don't have much to plug. I am just so unbelievably excited um, about uh, Elliot Page coming out um, on this day. You're, this is going to, of course, y'all listening are going to hear this on a different day than this happened. But on this first day of December, the day that we presume is approximately the birthday of the the cat that we love, Huey. Uh, who none of y'all have met, but that's because he's very quiet, and he's a cat. It's just, it's just, it's. I don't know. It's, I. It's, it's been a really wild day, being like, "Huey, it's your birthday," and then being like, "Wow, what a fucking dope birthday present." Um, <laughs> and um, I'm just looking forward to seeing how Umbrella Academy adapts and respects that, because they've very clearly let Elliot kind of a uh, have a little bit of control over his. Uh, role within the within the show and they've kind of adapted with them so i'm excited also because i know that uh gerard way is also like down for the the queerness so like i'm 
uh, I'm really excited to see what happens next with that. Um, and just as far as like trans representation in media, like to have somebody of this stature so openly, not just like start off as trans, but like this is one going to be, this is one of the first times we're seeing culturally the idea of like an entire culture is going to go from knowing someone as one person and see them trans and has seen someone transition. So it's not, it's not like, you know, um, people getting to know Laverne Cox or MJ Rodriguez. This is like, this is a totally different experience for mainstream society. And I'm really excited to see, I'm scared shitless to be quite honest with you, but I'm also excited to see where we end up because of this kind of development. So I'm just going to say it again. I've said it a few times, but if you're trans and you're listening, I love you so much. Um, and never forget that. If anything, I love you. And I think that's all I have to say right now. Okay, bye. <laughs> I have to be taken to Abraham's bosom. Uh... <laughs> I forgive you. Oh, <laughs> uh, shit. Um, yeah, I don't have much to, to fucking shout out. I mean, first of all, because we didn't record last week and I didn't get a chance to... Um, you know, there was the the thankful season, the thankful holiday has come and passed. Ah, yes, the genocide. And uh, that didn't have enough. Oh, jeez. Well, uh, that's how we end our show today. No, um, I did. I didn't have the chance to. I didn't have the chance to thank y'all for doing this and for like letting me be a part of this and to thank our community for being as fucking cool as they are. I've gotten follows and like return viewers from our live stream of this podcast on my regular stream. And that shit's great. Y'all are supportive as fuck, and I love it. Um, and yeah, that's all I really got. Keep keep being fucking great to this community. Um, I'm saying that to this community and our community. Keep being great, not only to us, but to everybody that you impact. Because obviously we're surrounded by people with good in them in abundance. Uh, and that's not very common. I mean, it's not rare, but it's also not common. You know what I mean? Like, so Absolutely. many things on this planet are like, I mean, we fucking talked about Star Wars this episode. <laughs> and like, if, if there's anything that's a better example of divisiveness in the United States, and it's not just a conversation about the mango Mussolini, like Star Wars is it. And uh, we could have, I guess we could in some way have that kind of divide in our community, but we don't. Everyone's awesome. Everyone's supportive. Everyone hangs out with each other, supports each other. It's dope. Uh, so thanks for that. And thanks to y'all. Because... I saw Kev post this on Facebook, and I was like, yes. Just kind of inviting myself to a party that y'all have invited me back to for more than yeah. 40 weeks. So I did that, too. I was like, I'm in. Uh, I want to do this. Please let me. Thank you. Of course. And I'm so glad y'all. I mean, like, you know, I knew y'all, but we were not by any means, I think, really really closely acquainted right. you know caleb i yeah. had barely talked to in years like moving time zones and <laughs> sure. jace jace i knew almost exclusively from <laughs> doing cats with you mm-hmm. uh and uh and i of course knew your partner for for many years and we right. actually like thanksgiving last year was like the second time you and i hung out yeah um, that was a good not, yeah i think the last me. time kevin and i hung out was at like a fucking it was at mochabee's for sure. Yeah. And it was well, like 2017. Know. It was like yeah, 2017 exactly. or some shit. It was, it was 100 <laughs> years ago. And I'm very, very glad that we all decided to do this uh, together. 
um and and that we are just trucking we are over halfway through community and it feels real i think that's why we ran long is we're just like excited to talk (laughs) to each other um again and uh, about these episodes as well because this will be this episode including the guest interview with the great jay editin who i've wanted to get on the show forever um like writer of x-men comics doer of x-men podcast jay editin this episode is gonna be like three hours long so (laughs) I regret nothing. Buckle um, up, motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah, I, re- I regret nothing except for the editing task that is ahead of me. Um, <laughs> but besides that, um, so this is this has been a joy. And coming up soon, based on the birth of Caleb's child, we're going to do like four weeks of Witcher uh, content, uh, which will also be fun. It will be oh, its own Oh, yeah, I got to start fun. watching Witcher. That's good, because I've been dying for something actually good to watch instead of just binge watching the Arrowverse, which I love, but is trash. Yeah, it's trash. Uh, but, you know, my trash, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, it's my trash. No one, yeah, How dare trash. you say anything bad about my trash? Yeah, exactly. It's my trash. Uh, but, yeah, we're going to do uh, Witcher just so that, like, in case Caleb has to do baby stuff, we he won't miss, like, four straight weeks of community in sure. theory. So we're going to do a You're little right. Witcher stuff. Um, I may be around for some of the Witcher stuff, but, like, exactly. in case but, I'm not, it's okay. Yeah. I'm not missing the communities. Exactly. And then, because yeah. uh, I, I, oh, I wouldn't want you to miss our segue into Community Season 4. Um, the Guest League. League. But until next week, I really need to shut the fuck up and go to bed. Uh, <laughs> this has been Advanced Community Studies. Pop, pop. Pop, pop. DVD, D, DVD, D, DVD, D. <laughs> I was uh, like, the fuck is happening? <laughs> I just, like, kept, just, you know, kept on going up. So. For a second, I was watching. That's it. That's what I got today. That's beautiful. <laughs> 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 They are wonderful. We all love brownies. They're delicious. If you love brownies, you love life. And even though I know how very far apart we are, orgasmically delicious. When I first made contact with my uh, very silly, very dorky community characters as X-Men thread, which just like finally got all of this 
nonsense out of my head and into the public forum. Um, and for a while, I was like, do I want to ask uh, them if they want to create one? But I'm like, I don't want to ask someone to be on my show and then also put an incredible amount of labor onto them to like create their own alternative list. Well, and I wouldn't want to do that because I think what what really struck me about yours is that it it's really good. It nails so many points that just get missed. And while there are characters who I would probably end up going in different directions with if I were just going from scratch, there are none in there that I disagree with. Yes. And that is, that's truly what I'm going for is like, okay, I wouldn't have also gone this way, but I see where this came from. Yeah. Plus, I also feel like there's maybe a non-zero percent chance that you are maybe a little tired of talking about X-Men and and Marvel constantly. There's there's definitely a lot of that. But also, I'm just, I'm not always great at cross-casting. Like, people ask us to do that a lot. And there are Mm -hmm. things where I can and there are things where it feels really obvious. But then it'll be like, which Gilmore Girls character would dress up as which Generation X character for a Halloween party in this (sighs) theme? Like, people ask these incredibly specific things, and I'm like, okay, I've never seen Gilmore Girls. (laughs) And, Uh yes. (laughs) And, like, I don't know. I think think the cross-casting things tend to be things that I I enjoy reading and disagreeing with more than I enjoy actually making them myself. Right. Like, this was that whole category. Yeah, exactly. This was the first one I had ever done. And I feel like it's also the only one I could ever do. These are the only two spheres that I could ever interlock. But it seems like if someone's asking for, like, Gilmore Girls meets Generation X, they should just make that list for themselves. If it's that specific in their mind, maybe they should just make that one, make that one on their own. Yeah, there's, I gotta say, the the one point I disagreed on, and I, I don't, again, I don't think you're wrong, but I landed in a very different place, is the one, the one bit of cross-casting that I do actually have a quick go-to direct answer about, which is that for me, Troy and Abed are always going to be very, very, very Warlock and Doug Ramsey. Yeah, I mean, that, that makes a ton of sense as, like, a unit. Right, um, but it doesn't, it doesn't and, work as well when you start incorporating the rest of the cast, so... Yeah, and yeah. it's, you know, it, their, their facilities within their particular groups are obviously very different, but, like, I'm even kind of, like, which one is which in the... If we're, if we're moving these, these cups around, because I could see the argument of either one... Like, Abed being Doug or Warlock. Mm-hmm. It, the, either of those arguments make a lot of sense to me. I would almost put Troy as Warlock just because he is the sweetest best boy. He is the sweetest uh, best boy, and he's also very, very innocent and just kind of learning about the world with a sense of wonder that reminds me a lot of Warlock. Uh-huh. So I can see that Absolutely. I have I, I, my vested interest in there is that I also have the, the, the nerdiest thing I have ever paid money for. So I, I commissioned um, Erica Henderson to draw the two of them doing Troy and Abed in the morning. Oh my god. So, and in that, at least, Troy is Warlock and Abed's Doug. That's beautiful. Boy, if you that nailed down and then you add erica henderson into it and i'm like that is sort of my ideal piece of art <laughs> it's what you've just described there uh as drawn by erica henderson wow so so that is yeah. that is the only the only bit of cross-casting that is is a hill that i'm i'm at this point obligated to fight and die on but again in in the context of the thread um rogan gambit worked beautifully so <laughs> thank you uh yeah it it makes sense and it all uh uh hopefully checks out and when i eventually get around to working on this book of community like 
episode guides and essays and stuff, I will, as the make some expanded version of that thread within the contents of the book. It'll be the most skipped over chapter of the entire thing, but whatever, I'm making the book, so... It won't, though. It'll I... be the most controversial chapter. <laughs> I will... There will be flame wars about it for years and years. There'll, there'll be, you know, campus-wide battles. But what will what will the theme of that battle... I guess it would be a civil war type. That's the easiest facsimile to put this onto but if you know if i wanted to do like secret wars or x of or ten of swords sorry uh i could i could i could conjure those up i could make that happen good work but the the advantage of sticking with with a war and specifically i think you'd have to go with world war ii to get the perfect analogy is that you get you can do the ken burns thing and and specifically you can get (laughs) keith david narrating it which actually, oh. so, so I looked this up because I, I remembered this being the case, but I wanted to double check. But um, so Keith David, who narrated Pillows and Blankets, and then he went on to play Elroy Potashnik, also actually narrated a Ken Burns documentary. Did he really? He I mean, did. He, it it's makes... his World War II one. Oh my God. Well, dang, I need to... <laughs> I need to track down like a DVD of the 12 hour World War II documentary because that sounds like exactly something I would enjoy. So you did the perfect segue for me. You're a, you're a fantastic host, but this is the interview portion of Advanced Community Studies. Uh, and I am joined by uh, one of the hosts of Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men and uh, the writer of the recent uh, Marvel's Snapshots Cyclops. This is Jay Edited. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I've been wanting to have you on for a long time. So this is, uh, it's, it's great that, <laughs> that you, uh, commented on my pillows and blankets post because there was just, uh, the, the, you opened the door for me and I do appreciate that. I am so excited to be here. I mean, I podcast about X-Men, but for a long time and still probably, I'm one of my all time favorite TV shows was Community and I was deeply, deeply, deeply granularly obsessed with it. And... It's such a delight hearing what you guys are doing and watching and also just getting to come on and actually talk about it. Like, I, I can pretty much do that infinitely <laughs> if someone yeah. lets me. Yeah, exactly. I've found that, I don't know, we're like 36 episodes in, we're like halfway through season three, and I am nowhere near done talking about community. Uh, so that that was a g- good turn of events, as opposed to the alternative where I somehow ran out of things to say <laughs> 10 episodes. One of the great things about it is every season is so different and adds so much tonally, you know, in terms of cast, in terms of dynamics, and you know, the, even the stuff that's not great for the show, the, the you know, firing and rehiring of Dan Harmon and things like that, make for interesting discussion when you're looking at sort of how the sausage is made and where the episodes come from and what's coming out of that. And even when you get into spots like season four, like there are still some absolute gems in there that almost become more interesting because they came out of this weird semi-apocryphal season. Absolutely. Yes, the the gas leak year. Yeah. Uh, but every weird thing that happened in community's life makes the show more interesting to talk about and as a cultural piece that like even if the second half of season five say after after donald glover leaves is a little more hit and miss i think it is still like a fascinating piece of television to look at and and talk about as the show becomes about like loss and and broken homes for like the second half of that season if there is an overall theme 
Uh, and uh, every yeah, Dan Harmon getting fired, like obviously that leaves season four in a weird place, but it also makes the text of the show, the story, the meta story of community, way more interesting. Yeah, exactly. This is this is one of the things that pulls me back to X Men a lot too, because it's so much a product of the business that it's coming from that you can use it as a vehicle to track that too and just sort of see the interplay between the creative and the bureaucratic and the political ends of it. Absolutely. And community somehow, you know, after being like the weirdest thing on NBC for five years, I guess, you know, give or take Hannibal as like, this is the weirdest <laughs> thing that we're putting on our, on it's our a different network. Kind of weird, different kind of weird and off-putting in its own way, even though I love both shows uh dearly but community even somehow also became like a pioneer in the streaming landscape mm -hmm. that like in 2015 before everything was streaming community was streaming uh it just it, when it <laughs> tried to build and destroy yahoo screen all all in one go uh, uh it's, that was it's, a thing <laughs> so it was a website uh it and existed. it it did for a while. It doesn't anymore. Um, uh, and it I, they like to lay the blame on community as like, you killed <laughs> Yahoo Screen. <laughs> but Yahoo Screen was like barely alive when they got there. Like all, all community did was not save Yahoo Screen. It didn't kill Yahoo Screen. I don't. Yeah, no, I was, I was writing for Wired when community was canceled and came back. And... I remember having conversations because I, I kept on calling dibs on coverage of it. And I, I remember having conversations with with colleagues at the time. We were like, is this is Yahoo screen a thing? Is this something we should have been aware of? What? No. I mean, we sort of knew it existed. But is what is is what's actually happening? Like none of us had <laughs> ever interacted with it in any way. Right. I mean, I think most people found out that Yahoo screen existed because when, community. because community moved there. And because they had, like, two other shows when Community arrived, it had a show called Sin City Saints about a fictional Las Vegas basketball team, and it had Malin Ackerman as the lead, and then they had Other Space, which was Paul Feig's, like, Star Trek riff, like, Star Trek comedy riff, which had, like, kind of an interesting gender bending like future cyberpunk gender bending paradigm to it um but it, i think most people still remember yahoo screen as the place where community existed and now now that season six is not only on physical media but netflix and hulu and prime you know it's it, yahoo screen is basically a faded memory at this point <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's sort of the internet explorer of streaming services. Yeah, Yahoo Screen is the default streaming service that your computer comes with, and you use it to download Netscape. Netflix and Hulu. <laughs> yeah, you use it to download Well, I think Internet Explorer might still exist, so I'll go with Netscape. I think it, it does still uh, exist. I think they've, um, they've changed the name to, like, Microsoft Edge, but we all know it's Internet Explorer. But they've they've rebranded because it just came with too much baggage, I think, at this point. Microsoft Edge, because it'll never quite get you there. <laughs> oh, wow. I wish I could cut it off there, um, because I don't think we're going to top that. Uh, but uh, so you've, you've talked a little bit about your ongoing relationship. Uh, but how did your community journey begin? So it, it, it began, I think, the way 
a lot of people's do, which is that I had colleagues who really loved it and talked about it for a couple of years. And then at some point, someone brought it up again and I started watching it. And I was not super sold on it at first. It was I, I really disliked Jeff and it seemed like he was going to be the, the protagonist. Um, and I know exactly what sold me on it because I, I, I took notes before this. Um, but <laughs> there's the there's season season one is kind of the, the season where the show gets its footing. Oh, the other important thing about this is that I just come out of, of, of just marathon watching repeatedly all of the adventures of Pete and Pete, which okay. are you familiar with this? I know it mostly as like a reference the McElroy brothers make a lot. I am not I'm not familiar myself. Okay, so this is this was the show that I was obsessed with before community, but I came into really late because I was I was basically the right age to be the target audience for that. Didn't watch it growing up. Um, watched it later as an adult. Felt absolutely in love with it. Um, made a zine about it. Put together the Portland reunion show because apparently I never do things not overboard. So <laughs> so Pete and Pete genre specifically is something I sort of think of as suburban magical realism. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 a genre that's pretty common to to kids shows and especially kids shows in the late 90s and that you don't see very much in adult TV and especially adult sitcoms. And you see community starting to edge in that direction over the first few episodes and not quite reach it. And then you get to environmental science. Mm-hmm. And specifically, you get to the end of environmental science with the somewhere out there montage. Yes. And it's like watching the show click. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the point where it just slides into this genre. It's like, okay, we are not, this is not going to be a real, this is not going to be a semi realistic community college sitcom about a bunch of lovable misfits. This is, this is just going to fly off in its own weird directions. And, and that's such a cool moment, like watching a show just kind of become the show it's going to be. So I hit that point. And I was like, OK, yes, I'm sold. Done. In. Um, and when I started watching it, I think there were there were four seasons out or there were almost four seasons out. Okay. So there were three seasons that are available to stream. And then the fourth came up and I, I pretty much uh, season five was the first season that I watched as it was coming out. So, yeah, that was that was sort of my my community arc. Wow. That's that's great. Do you have particular uh, characters or episodes that like really uh, uh, resonate with you and stick with you? So community in general and Abed in particular was part of the arc of <laughs> for me of getting diagnosed with an autism spectrum disorder. So that was you know useful and obviously a point of significant identification. And there are there are episodes that are part of that. And Abed is is very much my favorite character. Um, God. I feel bad saying everyone but Jeff, but kind of everyone but Jeff. Okay. I I really love Britta initially. And okay. at the points where they start to, to challenge and push back against the the directions where her narrative has spiraled in seasons two and three. Um, you see some of that in season three. You see one like one of the better bits of that is in season four in an otherwise absolutely god-awful episode, which is a little bit unsettling. Um, and then more and more in, in season five, because I, I think I like what happened to Britta mid-series is is one of those things I perpetually mildly resent as someone who writes about gender and entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, I love yeah, I love all the characters because none of them are really none of them are simple. None of them are 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 cardboard cutouts. None of them are none of them are just lessons in a in a 
cardigan or what any of that. They're all pretty dynamic. And they're also all played by people who are clearly having a really good time playing them, which is always a lot of fun to watch. As far as favorite non-main characters, um, I, oh God, I'm, I can never remember his name. The the professor from Conspiracy Theory and Interior Design. Um, yeah. I, uh, professor Garrity. I think, yeah, his real professor, name is Garrity. Yeah, He's I gone love, through like five I, different names. Yeah, Professor Professorson, but I, I love Professor Garrity. Um, he, he is probably always going to be my favorite. Oh, the other episode that I'm, I'm weirdly infatu- infatuated with is, is the 1984 episode of um, Britta's Star-Crossed Love Affair with Subway. Yeah, so this is a real one-two punch for you then, because that is the episode like immediately preceding the Pillow and Blanket War. Right. Um, so it just rolls right. So this is like for you, perhaps the ultimate, <laughs> ultimate two-parter. Yeah, uh, because I, I you, you don't know if no I problem. don't know if Pillows and Blankets is my very favorite, but it's 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 up there in like the perpetually shifting top five. Yeah, the nebulous top. I always know my number one, but my top, my next four will keep like moving in and out of each other in in these spherical shapes. But yes, you you sort of specifically like put the flag up of like yes, pillows and blankets. So what is it about this episode that you love? It can be many things, but I uh, I'm wondering why this one got to you specifically. At everything. No, I love it. There's. There's a line in an earlier episode um, in the, the holiday special from season three from Brito, which is, I know the stakes aren't really that high, but somehow that just makes it scarier. <laughs> and this episode feels like kind of the ultimate realization of that concept. Um, it's, 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 it's literally, it's, it, it goes in and it so totally commits to its bit. Like there, there is... There's there's tongue in cheek stuff from the narrator and and in the setup, but it's utterly dedicated to what it's do to this this really absurd riff. I mean it's it's the, the absolute just just pitch serious Ken Burns documentary about a massive pillow fight, and it's and it's again again you have have Keith David narrating it who is an actual Ken Burns narrator, <laughs> and. Like all of the all of the stuff where you know it's it, the stakes are so low, but that makes it seem scarier. One of the great things community consistently does is add an extra level of higher stakes to take things full circle around to serious. Because on the other hand, yeah, it's a pillow fight, but on the other hand, in a lot of ways, it's one of the highest stakes stories we've seen because it's potentially and in a very real way the end of Troy and Abed's friendship, or at least it's going to determine where that friendship goes and what happens, which is at this point in community, I would probably say the highest stakes relationship on the show. Definitely. Um, because there's no, uh, hard fought like romantic relationships. Um, and everyone is friend. I really like the friendship between Jeff and Britta, but it's like nothing compared to Troy and Abed's friendship. Um, that's the, the highest stakes you could put on this. Right. And there's, there was this, there's a saying that got kicked around the community writer's room, which is like, okay, if we're going to do a genre episode, what is the Jeff and Britta fucking on the study room table during paintball of this genre? We can't just do a genre riff. It has to be Troy realizes that he can be immature in the middle of an ABBA zombies apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Or we can't just do a Ken Burns pillow fight. It has to also be the stakes of like this human relationship at the center of it, which is yeah. really smart. Yeah, because I mean, you see, you, one of one of the neat things about 
the the burn structure, the documentary structure, is that the actual emotional climaxes of the episode aren't the climaxes of the pillow fight, of the pillow war. So you see them come off as fairly, in, like, the things that really, really hit you hard in this episode aren't aren't the things that are structured to be emphatic. They're the things that are the character arcs. So specifically Abed's email and then Troy's text message in the middle of it when they're they're sending each other these these incredibly cruel messages. And like, you know, and you watch the rest and it's silly and you watch those and it's like, oh, yeah, this is this is this is the Gettysburg episode. <laughs> right. <laughs> I actually I watched the whole Kent Burns Civil War series when I was a fairly young kid. Um because wow. someone gave it to one of my parents on VHS for Christmas one year. So I've sort of got a sense of, of this of big. <laughs> wow. But yeah, I, I think I think it does a really good job having the human story happen as a low key counterpoint to the documentary story mm-hmm. in, in ways right. that make the documentary story sillier, but also make the human story hit with more more impact than I think it would have had if it had been framed straight. Right. Uh, they found like and also, you know, if you know the like meta text of this episode they did this episode essentially to save money because it is 95 percent still images of people in silly costumes and and talking head interviews right so uh yeah and so like okay the costume department has to come up with this but right you're basically just paying keith david uh and then you pay wardrobe to come up with like a pillow man (laughs) suit um, and, and you can, can basically, uh, save a bunch of money that way. And they decide to, to do this crazy Ken Burns documentary. And then they absolutely nail the style of that. And they never forget to do the jokes, but they never forget to bring the heart into it as well. It's really like a remarkable balancing act for being like 21 minutes long, and it ends uh, with the to, perfect Jeff kind of got a heart, but oh, wait, no, he's still Jeff punchline. Right, which is uh, classic TV character development. It's like, okay, they he can learn a lesson, but Jeff is always going to be Jeff, which also feels very, I mean, people complain about that. That also feels very real to me, is that like anyone that knows any Jeff wingers, like he's never going to fully stop being Jeff, but he might. Uh, help you out in a way he wouldn't have two seasons ago. He might become better Jeff. Yes, and that's all we can really ask for, is is better Jeff. Although you are a uh, no-Jeff fan, so. I'm, I, think he's, I think he's a good character. I think he's a useful character. But I sort of think of him as, and I, I think community writer's room did this pretty regularly too, is it's, it's useful to have a character who you don't feel bad about setting up for Pratfalls. Sure. This is, you know, and and having the character who is the popular, handsome, successful, fairly wealthy character. Like, Jeff is is the character you can make look stupid and have everyone come out of it feeling okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, They, he and Britta are the character, I guess, and Pierce are the, are the, characters from the original group this show feels most comfortable dumping on. Mm. And with... With Pierce, you kind of get where they're coming from. With Britta, as much as I love that character and have written like 6,400 words about that character, um, as much as I love her, it is also, it really feels mean sometimes. Yeah. Uh, Well, and the the show even even ends up with meta commentary on that um, in the the Sadie Hawkins episode, in the Sadie B. Hawkins Mm -hmm. dance episode. 
Right. Uh, and season three, the season we're in the middle of right now, feels definitely like the season where both Jeff and the show are hardest on her. Yeah. Like, every episode is about her being the punchline. Uh, which I think that I think season two had a better balance of that. And I think it kind of ends strong in like season six, where even though she's like silly, we do see that she is fairly <laughs> well developed and has like some skill sets that she uh, uh, uses. I think they they kind of have this low point that on either side of it is a better yeah. is a better balance. Yeah. Um, but you're right. Jeff Winger is like a character who, when he gets a drink thrown in his face, or if things don't work out the way he wants to, you don't feel, they don't put the sad piano on the soundtrack. Like, it's okay right. for this guy <laughs> to get what's coming to him sometimes. It's like, it's okay. You know, 95% of society, government, and life is biased massively in your favor. Slip on all the banana peels, man. <laughs> right. You, as funny as it is that you cheated on your law degree, like you do also deserve to have that come back around and bite you. And I don't feel bad that it did. Um, it is a, it's a, it's, it's a, cause I never find Jeff to not be empathetic, even if he is often like reprehensible. Uh, it's a, it's a delicate balance with a hero that is that quote unquote unlikable. Yeah. He's Jeff not malicious. And I think that's important. He's just, he's really selfish and yes. learning to, not even so much stop being selfish as have his selfishness inc you know, include the people he cares about or to have it to some extent or to somewhat recognize that it's a you know universal impulse or drive or you know, whatever are, are the ways that he grows. And that works. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it feels because they don't have a Jim Halpert in this role or a, a Zach Braff or, or who have you, it, it feels more... Um, like they, they have that utility that like, if the leads of these other shows are big jerks, it feels like out of character and you're like, oh, that's weird. Like, why are they acting so mean? Because this episode needs conflict. Um, it's like a, a big problem that shows like how I met your mother ran into, uh, where it's like, boy, their need to drum up conflict in season nine is just making all of these people like really... Uh, unlikable, but Jeff, that's in there from the jump. That's just baked into the the character. And Jeff's arc is learning to be likable and learning to some extent to relate to people whom he considers or would consider beneath him and to recognize that he is just another weirdo, or at least another weirdo, just, despite and while being comparatively successful or able to pass as a functional adult in ways that his his peers maybe can't. Right, exactly. And, um, you know, he spends all these years dumping on Dean Craig Pelton, and that never fully stops. But by the time we get to the end of the show, like, they're just friends and co-workers. He yeah. still, like, thinks this is a weird person. <laughs> but they have a good, like, back-and-forth confidant relationship with one another that I, I really enjoy uh, when they finally get to that point. Yeah, Dean Pelton is another character I really love. There's a lot that the the more complicated the dean's identity gets the more i like him because mm -hmm. he starts out looking like he's being played as a gay joke mm -hmm. and then and when they actually address that face on the the coming out as you know roughly one sixth of 
what I am, like, <laughs> what he is. Or, or whatever, whatever it was. Just, just, just the extent to which the dean is this, this, this protean ineffable creature. <laughs> the more is... you look at him, the less he makes sense. Or, or he does make perfect sense. He just doesn't really make sense in a paradigm that's not him. Sure, right. Like, he's just, he's just <laughs> right. like watching the dean's gradual process of self-discovery in the background of the show is so delightful. Right. And uh, they, they can use him both as a cartoon and when you need pathos from him, they can somehow like d- pull water from that well uh, when he, you know, I'm not openly anything and gay doesn't begin to cover it. Uh, it's he's this this beautiful uh, nebulous being that I love and he is cannot be defined other than himself. It's it's wild. Absolutely. It's a, that's a trick they also try with Frankie Dart in, in season six. Uh, but I just don't think they have the time to really like massage that out in the same way. But they also specifically do not define Frankie's sexuality several yeah. times. And that is, that's an interesting way to go with it. Um, in the same way that they never, they never put a label on Abed. And I understand why they never do that, because the his his lack of definition allows you to do more with him or feel like the rules of Abed can be just Abed, as opposed to if you slap a particular neuro uh, um, I, the, particular, the proper words. Yeah, neurodiverse label. One of the things, too, is that those labels are very clearly something Abed pointedly avoids like mm-hmm. even in contexts where it comes up he diverts so quickly like this it's even in, in one of the the regional holiday music songs when he, he just shifts the subject entirely and having a character who's fairly explicitly and un you know unquestionably on the autism spectrum or at least or generally neurodivergent who fictional or not is allowed that level of control over their own labeling is I think really important. It's really worthwhile. It's something that that very few shows handle that deftly. I think Community does it with Abed, but not necessarily with every other character. And uh, Elementary does it really well with Sherlock. Yeah, you've been you've been watching Elementary, uh, which I you know the the whole conversation about what is not what is, but like Sherlock Holmes's identity along that spectrum as well. And has been played in so many different ways over the years. Do you want to talk a little bit about how elementary specifically um, handles that? So I should qualify that I am, I am not really familiar with any other Sherlock Holmes adaptations. I've read a bunch of the original stories and I've, they've never been something that I was enough into that I really sought out the others. I saw one episode of Sherlock and um, based on that one episode, I did not watch any more of Sherlock. Um, Oh, weird. That happened to me. Yeah. It was was the Irene Adler episode. I was, I was on a flight home from a convention and a friend of mine was on the flight too and was, was watching the show and we did the, the sharing earbuds thing. And, um, and I hated it. (laughs) And, um, and I, 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 it also, it also, if you've seen that episode, it also plays out in a lot of, ways that are consistent with issues with Stephen Moffat's handling of female characters that kind of made me think that the rest of the show was going to, you know, basically, I, I just didn't really want to watch the Stephen Moffat does this other thing show. And, um, but I, I started watching, I started watching elementary. I don't even remember why we started watching it. We'd been talking about it and I'd, I'd heard a couple of good things about it. 
and Lucy Liu was amazing. And somehow the the idea of Zero Cool playing Sherlock Holmes was became just this hilariously funny thing. <laughs> um, so so my wife and I started watching it and got really really into it really fast. Um, it's a very very good update. It does a very good job of not just restaging the same mysteries, but really resituating the characters in a very, very different context. Um, it's got some of the most complex, effective, and nuanced representations of addiction and mental illness that I've seen on TV ever. And this is something that's 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 half of which I can talk about, but also um, my, my wife's younger brother uh, was an addict. And so she's had a lot of experience, and a lot of contact with that and a lot of from 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 slightly outside it and has has you know, justified more better informed, stronger opinions about how that that ends up playing out a lot on, on in TV shows and movies. And it's also got it, it. It's the entire thing is a really beautiful refutation of the trope of brilliant, incredibly obnoxious and horrible man gets accommodated by everyone around him because he's so indispensably brilliant. Mm. It starts looking like it's going to be that at the very, very beginning, or like it's supposed to be that. And it's absolutely not. And the majority of Sherlock's character arc over the course of the show is learning to person in a lot of ways. And it's it's actually a, a very Jeff Winger character arc in terms of learning a degree of practical compassion and learning to really think about and consider and interact with other people in ways that he hasn't before. And that version, and, and also, it's also got a central, the central relationship in it, the, the, the absolute, explicit, high stakes, the relationship of the show is a platonic partnership. It's, it's two characters who are work partners and become domestic partners and become basically more and more committed partners in more and more parts of their lives, but are never a romantic or sexual couple. Which I love that. Yeah, which isn't something that that you see a ton of, and it's really cool. And also, Lucy Liu's outfits over the course of the show are amazing and deserve their own second TV show. <laughs> like they're just they're they're just stunningly well done. Um, but as far as neurodivergence, there's there's an episode or there are a couple episodes that involve a character who is explicitly autistic, and how she's written is 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 kind of hit and miss. It's mostly pretty strong, but conversations in those episodes invite conversations where Sherlock skirts the issue of, of his own situation. And I, I think what they do a fairly good job of on the show is not trying to wedge him into a very specific diagnostic hole. Like he is clearly neurodivergent in the broad sense of the word and that he interacts with processes uh, and processes information in life in the world in a way that's not the standard. But beyond that, he's never labeled further and there's never any coding or hinting that he should fall into a specific slot but like he, he just gets to do the thing and be the thing and he and joan get to work out and figure out how to live with each other without necessarily having to explicitly label that in that way yeah that's that's good this um i don't know if it's like a rise quote unquote but this like i feel like we're seeing more stories of like people being able to define and own their own identity and uh we people that don't fit as easily into these these narrow boxes um which you know community does well with its characters it does not label and then any time 
a character comes on the show and is explicitly gay, they are a stereotype. The right. the gay basketball team and uh, <laughs> the uh, then the episode where where Hawthorne wipes become like a big uh, staple in the in the drag community. Every gay character in those episodes is like a a defined homosexual stereotype. Yeah, but they manage to avoid it with characters that they do not explicitly label and that that someone smarter than me could write about like (laughs) dan Harmon's relationship with labels uh and and how apparent he doesn't seem to like them very much even though he loves like building characters off of defined stereotypes that's the whole initial study group um so that that someone someone smarter than me listening to this should really could could put some pen to paper i have a general and uncharitable theory about that tendency, because I don't think community is the only place you see it by a wide margin, which is the tendency of people who are so so the way media gets gets played, gets shown, gets made in the United States tends to be a paradigm wherein straight, straight, white, non-disabled cisgender men are a default Mm -hmm. and everyone else is one other specific thing. And those characters are allowed a degree of complexity in there. The, the assumption is that those are the characters who are relatable. Those, those ciphers, those, 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 you know, that incredibly specific set of characteristics, which ironically then gets read as blanks. Mm-hmm. And I think something that happens if you grow up identifying with that default is that as soon as something has any kind of label that's put on it explicitly, that's not part of that, it gets shifted to an other basket where it no longer mm-hmm. becomes a relatable concept. And so if you don't if you don't have labels on these characters, they're still relatable. But but as soon as the character is labeled with something that's not the thing that the person making it, you know, that that, that the person who again who's who's been in this majority, because if you're not that, then you've grown up learning how to relate to people who have explicit not you labels, which mm-hmm. I think the overwhelming majority of us have to do if we want something relatable. Um but if, if you don't have to do that, then then having having those explicit labels, again, puts it in the basket of things that aren't like you. And so you just think about them in more simplistic terms and you end up with these these two dimensional, you know, glitter drenched characters. God, there's so much right. glitter in that episode. There's so much glitter. And um, uh, it's all like forgive me but like club gays you know yeah. it's it's loud music and very fit attractive people in in tight clothing uh and then like as much as the gay basketball team does make me laugh like it's incredibly funny it is also like that's like an 80s stereotype of yeah. what a gay person is um and you're you're right it's that like once something goes something or someone goes in the other basket because our brains love to compartmentalize naturally, or we've been trained to compartmentalize and it's so hard to unlearn those processes. You're right that that is like, Oh, okay. We slapped the word gay on this character. And so they are, uh, you know, uh, sassy and quick witted and they speak and act and dress in a particular way that, you know, as much as Dean Pelton loves his crazy costumes, when he's dressed for work, he's in like a mustard colored short sleeve, like a very not, I think, yeah. stereotypically gay outfit. Um, and he then is, he though, has. I just realized when you were talking about it being 80s gay, he is super anachronistic. All of Greendale yeah. kind of is. Greendale feels like it's it's hovering in this late 80s, early 90s void in a lot of ways. 
Mm -hmm. with its like particular versions of like Garrett nerds and and like the the Starburns type of people. And I mean, the whole first episode is like an homage to The Breakfast Club. And Mm -hmm. Dan Harmon obviously like grew up in a particular era of pop culture and the show covers a pretty wide swath of things uh but most of its like genre riffs are like okay if we're doing kind of an 80s action movie paintball it's die hard it's mad max it's escape from new york it's the warriors which is before that but you know yeah uh and it it has this zone that it kind of lives in you're right of this nebulous like 80s and 90s space and that's 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 very interesting. It's probably just based on the people working on the show and the age of of the people creating the show. But yeah, but I think I think it's part of why I didn't blink as hard as I normally would have and probably should have at some of the stereotypes in it because I'm so used to seeing them in media specifically of that era that it sort of feels like oh yeah, they just did the thing again. This feels like the version of that character that would have existed because this show <laughs> was obviously from 1990. Uh, mm-hmm. And when they bring in a character that is sort of a refutation of that, like Chang, it does feel like surprising. Like Chang's first monologue on the show, his first scene is like, I am not a stereotype. I am here to teach you Spanish. But then he um, becomes one. Yes, exactly. In, in such, yeah. Speaking of, of the opposite of good handling of, of mental illness on, on a television show. E- boy, uh, if 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 we started talking about the Chang of it all, I would keep you way past your heart out, uh, because there is a lot to be said of, <laughs> of that character. Um, but it has been wonderful talking with you. You are truly welcome back, literally anytime. Um, any any plugs or anything you want people out there to know about or or think about hearing you here on the episode? Oh gosh, well, if you like the dulcet tones of my voice, you can hear them on a weekly basis at JN Miles Explain the X-Men. That's explainthexmen.com. It's pretty much what it sounds on the tin, which is a weekly walk through the ins, outs, retcons, and time travel of comics' greatest superhero soap opera. I am on Twitter as NotLasers, um, and also as the show on pretty much every platform as just Explain the X-Men. Um, I do not currently have a website. I feel like I should just plug in general that I'm job hunting right now. So if you think I'm cool and want to hire me, uh, please do. (laughs) (laughs) You are so practiced at that uh, plug section for the show. It's almost like you've been doing it for five years now. (laughs) Yeah, no, I've, 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 I've done that specific line. I think I've missed maybe four episodes total in the history of the show where Miles had a guest um, covering for me. So I've, I've, I've done that specific patter just on the show, not counting conventions and stuff like this. um, 310 times. That checks out. Uh, but it's a it's a wonderful podcast. It's one of my favorites. Uh, listen to it every week. Uh, so thank you for joining me to talk about all things community. Thank you so much for having me. And again, anytime, seriously.
This has been a Talk Back Podcast. That was quite a show. Very entertaining. Please tell your friends about this show. Boop.